Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? What position are you playing, Sarah? I'm playing in Katie McCabe's position, so tell her to watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Hello, good morning, how are things? Wednesday mornings, OTBAM, you're very welcome along to the show. As per usual, we're here until 10 o'clock this morning um, in all the usual places. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Nathan Murphy, Mayo's finest, and Cameron Hill, Mayo's also finest. Oh, good morning. You went, you went early, didn't know where to Jeez, go. Yeah, yeah. Joint finest, joint finest. Oh, going to have to check under the tables here, sorry lads. Someone's, someone's taped a phone. Someone's taped a phone under the table. Yeah. Sabotage. What's that noise? Check under your. What's that noise? Check the check desk. That's a 3310. I see under here. Far, more, far less um, what? dangerous noise than it was on the BBC last night. Tell you what. What is that noise? You'd ha- <laughs> I don't know what that noise was. But uh, you'd have to be careful these days, lads. In the broadcasting business, you just never know who's done what. Yeah. I'd never really thought of this before, of actually, you know, when. The evening crew walk in. That yeah. We could leave a little surprise for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little we... surprise at ten past seven. Something just goes off in some corner. Yeah. Just there behind Pawdy. There's a pair Nobody of boots. Nobody be able to find it. David Myler's boots. Stick them in there, or there's another pair of boots up here. You could easily get away with it. I really want to know though how this happened and the thought process that went in it. Like, is it some angry BBC employee who thought, actually, I'm on my way out of here now? Screw them. I'm going to take my revenge. Prime time, Tuesday night TV. With a phone that looked like it, it wasn't even a, an old Nokia. It's from like 20 years ago. Well, that's it. Yeah. And then call, set the alarm, was it? For our, did they set the alarm or did they ring the phone at that exact I th- time? I think they must, have, they must have set that as the ringtone and so right. Was that a BBC employee or was it somebody working in the stadium at Molyneux yeah, who decided point. this was... But also the madness to come up with that sound effect. Well, it's the one that's going to get the most laughs yeah, and the most it's, carnage. It's the biggest name of a sound effect. What, what sound effect would you have used? I, well, at first when I heard it, I didn't, I, I didn't realise what it was. Because it sounded more like an alarm going off uh, than what it turned out to oh, yeah. actually be. Now, a large part of me does wonder if Gary Lineker... Yeah, maybe Gary self-sabotaged here. Yeah. Thinking, Wolves-Liverpool, is it going to draw the crowds? Because never have I seen a man enjoy a faux pas as much as this. It was uh, every pun he could possibly have oh. for the next two or three hours he went with. He yeah. was loving it. We're calling you out, Gary. Get involved. Get involved this morning. Did you plant the phone yourself? Was it you all along? Let well, us know. Well, if he did, it must have been like ages ago. Because as you say, that phone, I don't think that's the type of phone that would be easily bought in 2023. Uh, the phone Just, I didn't recognise. What was I didn't recognise it at all. Oh, it wasn't even like, a Nokia. It looked oh, like a Nokia. Sony Ericsson. Was it? Like God. something destroyed. Was it a flip phone? No, 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 no. Block, all digits, everything. Right. Which means someone was playing the really long game. It was someone there working for 17 in years. It was, a set, it was someone in Molyneux setting up the stage and, and the, the studio for the lads and they were like, do you know what? Do you know what would be great? It would be hilarious. Do you know that noise that everyone sends their mates? It's a, it seems like a normal video and then you click into it in a public place and lo and behold, other noises play and you're, you're left red-faced. Let's do that to Gary and the lads. I, they held it together quite well. I think the funniest well, person it could have happened re- Reasonably to. well. Re- reasonably well. In fairness, yeah. it's kind of almost impossible to uh, hold it together quite well when something like that is happening. You've no idea where it is, where it's coming from. 
uh, I just thought it was uh, Lineker at halftime and full time most certainly handled it very well like they didn't ignore it apparently we're behind the curve here so someone says come on if you've not seen the video people are like it's a, it was a YouTube prankster called Jarvo never heard of him oh is this the guy that runs on the pitch no that's, that's a Jarvo. different that's a different is that there's a, a few guy? Jarvos oh, is there, pranksters right? it's just so a it's prank a, bro it's a public it's a PR stunt essentially mm. by a YouTube guy to what's his name Jarvo Jarvo that's what our YouTube commenters have, have informed so he's, us and he's not the same guy who runs onto the pitch I'm, who is Jarvo69 prankster behind Wolves Liverpool porn noise yeah, on BBC it's the same guy I mean if you're going to call your child Jarvo he's going to be a prankster right Jarvo Jarvo sounds like he's from Dublin maybe Jarvo <laughs> stick, stick an O on the end of it and, and there's your nickname um Jarvo69's YouTube channel live streamed the prank from his living room with the video title We Pranked Wolves Liverpool FA Cup oh, Sex Sound. I did see this video. I didn't realise could be it. speaking to a fellow assailant on the phone while, while live coverage of the game is on the TV behind them. And when the noises began in the studio, Jarvo69, real name Daniel Jarvis, see where Jarvo came from, it's just ah. his nickname, and oh. his pals burst out laughing knowing their prank had come good. Delighted with themselves. However, it's not the only stuff Jarvis has pulled, as he previously raided the pitch in the Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool last year. Okay. Uh, it seems at, this was after the match, so it wasn't like, remember that great guy who stood oh, in the yeah. Manchester United mm. team photo back in the day? <laughs> he managed to hug Vinicius Jr. and even spoke to Garth Bale. He's also been on the pitch at Headingley Cricket Ground, getting close to Johnny Braidstow. And he's managed to sing the national anthem with the New Zealand rugby team as well. Oh my jeez. I've seen him before. I Yeah. I don't know. Imagine having that little to be at. You know? Well, maybe that. Maybe your man Salt Bay is just a prankster, and he's managed. Well, to what age is what age is this Jarvis fella? I thought he was sixty nine, but his name is actually Jarvo sixty nine. <laughs> I see. I see where you're going there, Daniel Jarvo, Jarvis sixty nine. There's a link between his name. Is, and is, is, and is, it, is it illegal what he did? Ah, surely not. I, I suppose know. he had to. He had to get in there in the first place. So maybe there's a breaking and entering. I feel like he knows someone in there. And yeah, I, I, I doubt no, he there's no himself. way. Somebody agrees to that. Like you're getting fired instantly. You're ruining your career. Oh, I don't know. No, I think he uh, must yeah. have snuck in somehow. Like that's his a mole. operandi is that he somehow sneaks into. <laughs> I, I do mean, think like Danny Murphy is the funniest person it could have happened to as well. Oh, for sure. Because he's sure. just like he's just shitting himself the whole time. Yeah, yeah. He just he's like, what what do we say here? What happens now? Um, what are we? Yeah, he was just. You could see him kind of flinching, his eyes Jarvo. kind of fluttering. He's in his late 30s, Jarvo. I mean, mm. Jesus Christ. Young Jarvis, would you please just, like, find something to do? Well, he is. He's doing well, it. Well, he is, he but found like, his niche. Find game. something adult to do. Well, let's just see. Uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. I'll I, I, I put an asterisk. He has 175,000 subscribers. 175,000 subscribers on YouTube. YouTube. I wonder how many he had before last night. I'm sure it's I'd say quite a few. I've definitely seen him during Six Nations games coming Right, on right, right, right. And being I, look, escorted off. It was it was a golden TV moment, one that we'll we'll remember for, I for quite it. some time. I'm so glad it didn't happen to Micah Richards. Yeah, it would have been too It would have been too much. Too much. I really wish it had happened to Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. What would Roy Keane have said? Uh, as he said when the phone went off during the press conference. Gonna turn that off? <laughs> Who wants the phone? You he would have Keno would have sussed it out straight away and ripped it off the chair and gone. I think mellowed, mellowed Roy Keane would have had a nice quip, a nice funny comment maybe to no, make. I don't think so. A notorious pitch invader Daniel Jarvis, also known as Jarvis 69, uh, he has reappeared at multiple rugby matches following his series of pranks at the cricket over the last year. So one of the cricket matches he arrived in a tent, uh, basically pretending he was camping at the cricket. Uh, but he tried to get on the pitch for 
an Ireland-England match. So as you said, he lined up beside the All Blacks uh, in a game against Wales. And then he tried to get on the pitch in an Ireland-England match and got properly, properly taken out of it. He tried to stand behind the England team at Twickenham. Uh, however, security quickly realised what was happening and made one of the best tackles of the tournament, taking him cleanly to the floor before holding him there while waiting for support to arrive. Wow. I mean, life comes at you fast, Jarvo 69. Of course, unfortunately for England, they could have used more aggression like that on the pitch as they felt with disappointing 32. Oh, oh we, we have a lot of fun here. Yeah, this is, this is funny. Um, no, it was just one of those great moments. You'd almost forget that there was a match afterwards. Well, there were loads of technical issues, if you watched Actually, the game. The, the floodlights went. The power surge, in. Or a power cut. And then they didn't have VAR for the first three minutes or something. I mean, Jesus. We've got a message in from a producer, Colm. All right, let's talk about the bloody football. Okay. Ah, you know, mate. The second We three. probably should. Uh, I, I mean, the game was... We probably would. Well, you were at the cinema, so... Yeah, sorry, and I don't make any apologies for this. Um, so I went to see A Man Called Otto last night, which is the latest Tom Hanks film. Now, folks, if you're going to go see A Man Called Otto, be prepared to let, let go of a few tears. Okay. It's a bit of a tearjerker, but it's also heartwarming and inspiring at the same time. Uh, Tom Hanks in his later, you know, mid to late 60s years, he's taken on roles of... Well, he basically plays, plays an old, grumpy man in this in this film, and uh, it's his his development from that uh, into a, a good neighbour and a, a good person that we can all be proud of. Well, the book is apparently very good, so you enjoyed oh, that. Oh, it's a book. Has it has it surpassed surpassed Castaway? Do you know what Castaway? For anyone like uh, Castaway is the the goat. I do have the quote from from Tom Hanks: "Tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring." Castaway is the goat of movies. That's what Jarvo 69, that's how he lives his yeah, life. Yeah, you know what? He's got that quote. Fair play. He probably watched Castaway last night and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go for it. Tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? I'm going to strap a phone to the BBC set. I like Castaway. I think everyone likes I, I, Like There surely can't be anybody who doesnn't like Castaway. Castaway well, is fine. But, but it's oh. always going to be, you know, oh. if it's on the TV, it's one of those movies you can pick up halfway through and go, I might just watch the end of it. It's nice. I'll feel, as you say, I'll feel good after it. Fine. To have it as your... Your your favourite movie of all time. Sorry. Name me another movie that makes you cry over an inanimate object. When Wilson is floating off and he's like, Wilson, you're bawling crying. And it's a feckin' volleyball with a bloodied face painted into it. And yet you cry. You're like, oh my have God, you, the you, inanimate you, object you, is not just talk yourself out of the entire reason why maybe it's not the greatest movie no, of all time. No, the, the fact that the direct, director... Think about what you're saying, Shane. The fact that the directors made you cry over that is the beauty of it. It was one of Tom Hanks' most unbelievable performances. And the other way, he, you know, he spends three or four years on the island and it comes back and he's all skinny and tanned. He genuinely lost all that weight and grew the beard and the hair. So it wasn't like a, a makeup job or a CGI job. Tom Hanks put in the work. I think he lost out on the Oscar that year somehow, but... To be fair, I think it was Russell Crowe's performance in Gladiator that beat him. Yeah. So you're like, oh, okay, both of those were pretty pretty good performances. I mean, a lot of the objects Russell Crowe was had talking to, to were anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia yeah. and... Uh, uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Forrest yeah, Gump. two years in a row, I think. Mm. Um, Tom Hanks, I mean, like I watched Apollo 13 over Christmas. I rewatched Saving Private Ryan as well. Mm. Like The Terminal, Captain Phillips. Terminal's great. Terminal's Fantastic. very underrated. Victor Novorsky. Guy, he died uh, recently. Yeah, yeah the real yeah, guy. Yeah. What's your, Did you watch anything non-Tom Hanks? Uh, are there other actors? <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, favourite Tom Hanks movie? Well, I'm old enough for, you know, Big was probably was one of the... Big is very really problematic now, though, was, isn't uh, it? Growing up. Is it problematic? Isn't, isn't the whole thing, like, when you watch the end of Big now, you realise that she's... She, like, the fact that she sees that this was a 12-year-old boy she was talking to the whole time and doesn't 
Is she aware like of it? projectile vomit immediately <laughs> that she was in love with this guy is kind of problematic, no? Is she aware of it Moving. during the film? No, but at the end she realised and then she kind of is like... Oh, she is oh. aware of it. Maybe, she's yeah. aware during she becomes, the film. She becomes aware. By the end she's aware. By the yeah. end of it she's aware. I would like... I think it's problematic if you want to make it problematic. Yeah, but she lets him walk off into the distance as his clothes slowly uh, get bigger and he gets smaller and he the gets, clothes fall off him and he and turns around old. and waves. <laughs> I am, like, I'm slagging you off about watching all... I, I definitely... I watched Sully over Christmas oh. again. Yeah. Even though I know what happens. Yeah. Uh, but Captain again, Phillips. I feel so sorry for Tom Hanks in this. Mm. Um, the anniversary was recently there, three days ago, January 15th, 2009, flight 1549. I read his book, yeah. Captain uh, Chesty Sullenberger, Sully, his real, the real guy. Right. Brilliant. I'm going to go favourite Tom Hanks movie, Catch Me If You Can. Oh, Is yeah, that, yeah, are we yeah. counting that as a Tom Hanks film as well? Yeah, as yeah, a DiCaprio. DiCaprio movie. Yeah. Mm, ah, it counts, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Forrest I think Gump. It does. Yeah, Forrest I keep Gump. Forrest Gump. Uh, Green Mile is a good, great film. Yes. I was going to Toy Story here. Well, Toy Story, but again, does doing the voice of Woody count as making the movie? Well, yeah, actually, I watched the recent Elvis. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Quite I haven't seen it yet. Brilliant and Elvis. Did you have a shout, Colin? Castaway, good man, Castaway. fantastic. What did you say, Cameron? Is your favorite? Uh, what did I say just there? I mean, Apollo thirteen is brilliant. Go for the clickbait answer, Ed. I don't really like Captain Phillips is brilliant. Captain Phillips. Captain Phillips I'm is brilliant. Big, I'm a big. Um, Forrest Gump fan. I haven't watched it in years, but I. I, I feel like I me and liked Tom, it. I think me and Tom Hanks will be will be best friends. I'm big into history and World War Two. Everyone thinks they'd be best friends with Tom Hanks. Sorry, but every time he comes on Graham Norton, you go, "I'd get on really well. I'd love to be on that couch. I'd love to be on that couch. I'd, like I'd fit right in. Tom Hanks would find me funny. I'd tell my couple of great stories. You know, He'd laugh a lot. Yeah. We'd go for a drink afterwards. We'd probably stay in touch. Wait, well, that's not the truth. Tom Hanks walks off there and he never talks to those people again. He, he, he barely acknowledges them when they're there. He, he created yeah. Band of Brothers and the, the Pacific and East and look. So I know we, we could talk World War Two. He's also a massive space geek. He's he's met and befriended a lot of those Apollo astronauts, some of whom are no longer with us. As have I. From the Earth to the Moon is a great HBO series he did. He's of course done Apollo thirteen. We have, we would have so much to talk about. Me and Tom. In fact, he's got a, a novel coming out in May, right? This uh, fiction novel. I'm going to make a call out. I think by May, I am going to get sitting down with Tom Hanks somewhere in the world. I'm going to make this a project over the next few months. I am going to get 10 minutes one-on-one with Tom Hanks. You heard it here first. There's something they say about meeting your heroes, right? There's a famous adage. You could do something like, do you remember that um, Caroline Moore who used to present this show on RTE many years ago? I think she won a reality TV show to even present it. And the entire point, the the entire point of the show was basically, it it was a mad concept in RTE. It was basically you had to stalk a celebrity. So right. if you said I want to meet Tom Hanks, they would basically pay you and send a camera with you to oh. find him wherever he is in the world. So everyone would obviously go to LA chasing like George Clooney. They'd find the gym he went to, and they just have to hang around there. You can keep going with that music. I'm going to be like, be like, like uh, the Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah. 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 Keep playing, playing the piano keep, keep, keep there. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Anyways, it, it well done, Tom Hanks. You've yeah, done well. Yeah. Road to Finally, he's been acknowledged. Yeah. People are pointing out their favorites: Turner and Hooch. Uh, Wilson, oh, yeah. Road to Perdition is his best. Someone, uh, Aiden says enough of the Tom Hanks, please. You can never have enough Tom Hanks, to be fair. Um, but that was that was my little moment. I had to, I had to say it. Like. I think you're wrong about the if I met him, I'd get on with him. I mean, a lot of people probably think that about you, Shane. <laughs> they probably uh, think which, about you. Which sports like, person would you most like to meet? So I call him wants to move on to sports. So I'm going to try and keep this conversation going. Sports. Who is the who is the sports person that you you've always wanted to meet, but you're afraid of meeting them because you're like. As you say, Nathan, don't meet your heroes. Like there are, uh, <sighs> you in my head. I need to. We need to come back to this. I need to think. We'd about need to this. come back to this. I think we put it yeah. out to the the viewers, the listeners. Ether. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but Liverpool, impressive. No, uh, I, well, Klopp said for the first time in a while, <laughs> an impressive performance with the result. Yeah, it, it, it Wolves were very unimpressive and felt like the perfect team for them to play last night. Now, Liverpool brought a, an energy that they didn't have against Brighton and Brentford. Like the the worry for Liverpool fans for both of those games would be heading in. You knew exactly what Brighton and Brentford were going to bring. Yeah. Good form, good intensity, know what they're about, get at you, can control the game. And they both completely outran Liverpool. Whereas last night, he made a load of changes, didn't really reflect a, a normal Liverpool team at all. No. And the young players came in with an energy. They played well. Uh, you know, Moutinho and Neves are two technically brilliant midfielders, mm. but they couldn't live with the pace of the younger players. And, you know, Thiago was probably probably the best player on the pitch in a game that didn't really matter where is that when you need him over the last couple of matches and the most interesting thing I think was Harvey Elliott scored a brilliant goal Yeah, he's been playing a lot deeper which I just feel it doesn't suit him or Liverpool you know he's replaced Mo Salah last night and mm-hmm. it kind of feels that should be his role like he's still only 19 because he, he's the youngest Premier League player ever or was the youngest Premier League player ever you sort of feel that where is his development at but He's been playing quite often on that right side of a midfield three, which for any teenager in a Liverpool side that's all about intensity and physicality and turnovers absolutely doesn't seem to suit his style. And I couldn't understand over the last few months why they keep persisting with playing him there. Like, you'd be better off limiting his game time and playing him instead of Salah when you need to rest Salah. And last night, without maybe the same amount of defensive responsibilities, mm. he was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, quality. Yeah. I thought Curtis Jones was very good last night as well. I was really impressed with his movement, um, especially off the ball. But yeah, Wolves just they couldn't fire a shot. It was only towards the end that they kind of started threatening. But um, first clean sheet for Liverpool since the Derby game, November 9th, mm. which is mad. Like he made the eight changes, so obviously loyalty out the window when it comes to a team not performing. Klopp was pretty strong to his word, stuck to his word. He was like, well, I'm going to change this team completely. Uh, they're just not good enough. James Milner as well. 37 this month he's coaching the Liverpool Academy is he mm. Mm. Um, and held it together a bit last night for them bit of experience yeah, he did. Like, like, let's see what he does Chelsea early Saturday how many of these players keep their places does he reward them or is there that bit of well actually it was an FA Cup game that although Wolves were at home as I said they never never looked like yeah. creating too many chances uh, Joe Hodge played and he started it was taken off after half time again never got a touch on it no. in right. the first half yeah, it was a big Irish interest last night. Creeping Kelleher did what he had to do again, yeah. and they weren't exactly unloading on him. And uh, Nathan Collins again just looks Rolls Royce. There's yeah. probably a little bit to go in his defending, but just so his organisational. But for a top four team, that's all you keep looking though. He's so comfortable on the ball, he'll have to do a quarter of the defending he would have to do at Wolves. So any mistakes he makes are going to be nullified straight away. Can you see him ending up at one of those? Top four, five, six teams. I think so, yeah. In a way, would it be the best thing for him if Wolves were to be relegated this season so that he definitely gets goes and gets his yeah, move? Which club? Stood out. <sighs> would, he, would he suit best, I guess, is the question. I, I think for any... I, I think they all want their centre-backs now to be able to play football, to be able to step up, uh, to have a range of passing. So uh, it depends. Needs must during yeah. the summer. Like... If you're looking at a top club who's going to sign him, you'd have to say Chelsea because they're signing everybody else right now. But um, true, yeah. You know, would he fit in at a at a Manchester United now? I think absolutely. But they've got Varane and Alessandro Martinez. He'll want to go somewhere. He'll play. At Wolves don't sell unless they really feel they need to sell. So you know, maybe he does another eighteen months at Wolves and then then he's ready. The other games in the cup were were probably more exciting last night. Well, they, the the, high, the excitement obviously on the BBC was pre-match. Yeah, and was. then. 
uh, they just showed some quick highlights of Birmingham against Forest Green Rovers where it was an unbelievable goal for oh, Forest Green Rovers it was, it was the most perfect top corner right footed curling strike I have ever seen uh, and then the Birmingham keeper uh, Kevin Long by the way scored uh, for Birmingham mm. in that he's you know spent so long at Burnley he's gone to Birmingham he's played football Birmingham keeper makes the most insane triple save I have ever seen in my life the first one palms it onto the crossbar comes back to the Forest Green player who's basically got a tap in jumps out of nowhere and then as the third one's coming he managed to get a little punch on it as well which you barely noticed Class. so that was that game and then uh, West Brom Chesterfield uh, was poor old Chesterfield um, non-league team and it was the most non-league defending you've ever seen the first one is just the centre back who slices it straight up into the air <laughs> and, they, and then it might have even just been 1-0 at this stage uh, they're, one of their players is dribbling out of his own box and decides to play a back heel inside his own box mm. straight to the West Brom player who Julie does the dutiful. Yeah, I mean that's disappointing. Chesterfield won't watch watch the highlights. Uh, we should mention we've got the Australian Open uh, in front of us here as well. But Rafa Nadal is out, beaten in straight sets by Mackenzie McDonald, the American six four six four seven five in the uh, Rod Laver Arena. Um, that's a surprise. Now he was carrying an injury, it appears, uh, so clearly hampered him in his efforts this morning. But another big name uh, bites the dust in the men's draw. It's quite surprising. Yeah, it feels a little processional for Djokovic now, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't see anyone really stopping him. Tsitsipas <laughs> and Kasper Ruud, are they the two top? And Medvedev, as Colm says. It's, you'd love to see a competitive men's draw, but yeah, as you said, Djokovic is the... He's gone from strong favourite to really strong favourite, probably. Yeah, it seems inevitable, which makes it sound like we're in a Marvel film and the villain's going to get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's not the guy you want to win. No, I mean, uh, you're being kicked out in a minute, Cameron. I am, yeah, yeah. Ireland squad's it. been named tomorrow morning. Go on, the Connacht Mafia will give their point oh, of view. Actually, I'm sure you have a few others as well you'd like to see in there. Right, here's my hot take, and I'm going to leave on this, leave them smiling. Uh, Ross Byrne to play Wales, France, and England, and Jack Crowley to starting in Scotland and Italy. No Sexton. No Sexton. What? Hmm. We we nearly beat France without Johnny Sexton last year, and well, that was the toughest great. game of the year. I hope we continue to nearly beat teams without Johnny Sexton. Well, I think we could. That's we go and we actually beat them with Johnny Sexton. Yeah, let's lose every game in the Six Nations by two points. There's no way. So you think Andy Farrell is actually going to make the decision that lots of people have been calling for for years that we just give Johnny Sexton the rest and we throw somebody in? So he's not even going to go with Joey Carberry. Joey Carberry's out of the picture completely. I think so. I think. You know what, Cameron? I, I like think. It. What's I this think based he's a finisher. I don't I like think him. Joey Carberry can set the pace of a game. But so you're saying Ross Byrne starts, Joey Carberry's on the bench, and Sexton doesn't play at all. Yeah, unless he's there as injury cover in case Ross Byrne or one of them picks up an injury in the first game, which I feel is going to be very intense and physical because uh, it's Wales and it's Scotland. But I, yeah, I think at all, as much as we can, we try and limit Johnny Sexton's play and maybe get him off the bench. I think so bold call, it's a very bold, bold call. call. Right, so a Crowley, uh, Crowley mix with Ross Byrne for the six nations. Well, 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 I, I have found a flaw in your idea here. Go that on. would mean naming four out halves in the squad. Three for the moment, and then we bring someone in. Sexton's going to be fine. Sexton's going to be fine. So bring in Carberry if Crowley or... So you don't even pick Carberry in the squad. I don't, know. I don't think so. Oh, Joey, if you're watching. Or, or have him in as like your centre, as one of your centres, or bring him in somehow. But I just, I'm, I haven't been impressed with him over the season. I really, I really think mm-hmm. he's going to have to pull some great performances for Munster to get back into contention. 
Listen, I mean, we'll ask Keith what about it, and he'll either he'll either go one way or the other, Cameron. No, no way. That list, I think there's I think there's a, a a case to be made for Ross Byrne or Jack Crowley or whoever to be yeah. the, the backup or maybe get a start. But like yeah. if Sexton's fit, Sexton's in the in the twenty three. I don't know, Cameron. Think, yeah. On that note, thank you, thank you so much. Looking forward gonna, to social media today. We'll see what the YouTube commenters think of that at seven fifty four a.m. on this uh, Wednesday morning's OTBM. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock for the rest of the show. Eight oh five. It's the first GEA Power Rankings of the year. Tommy Rooney will be uh, bringing us through the Power Rankings and uh, letting us know which county is in what position. And, of course, we'll rip it apart. 20 past eight, as I said, Keith Wood will join us to talk Eddie Jones, Munster, and uh, Cameron's wild take there on the number 10s. Uh, John Duggan, 1JD, please, at 8.40am. We'll talk about bit of Spurs after disappointing North London Derby uh, defeat at the weekend. Jess Kelly will join us to talk tech at 8.50am this morning. Uh, Dan Quirk and Niall Quinn uh, will join us at 10 past nine and talk sudden adult death syndrome and a new charity named, uh, of course, for Dan's son, Dylan Quirk, the Clonality Ross Moore hurler tragically died on the pitch uh, very, very suddenly. And Niall Quinn, of course, with strong links to Tipperary, is involved uh, with uh, charities in that in that area as well. And from half past nine, we'll hear from Graham Hunter, who was on last night's show. But uh, Kathleen McNamee has joined us in uh, the studio this morning. It's a very connect like we've gone from two Mayo lads to a, to a Sligo woman here as well. This is I feel kind of outnumbered. It's just a general theme of shows that I like to be on is either having loads of people from Sligo or just Connacht in general. Yeah, that those are your rules. You won't go on air otherwise. You, Basically, are you claiming Edry Barry's from Connacht? That's true. I was well, on. Which with is Adrian. he? He's Athlone, isn't he? Which is both. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Um, he's he was from the Con- I'm, I'm fairly sure he's from the Connacht side of. Uh, well, it, w- it wouldn't be unusual for a Connacht man to become a Kilmacud man, true and true, would it? No. Um, Super yeah, club. Yeah, no, he likes to claim he's 100% uh, born and bred Leinster, which is fine. Listen, the geography at Lone is a confusing thing. It is, isn't it? It's the same in Uri. I was born in, in Daisy I think Hill Hospital. a slightly more contentious thing around <laughs> there, though. Yeah, but I, I was born in Daisy Hill Hospital in Uri, right? With, I never uh, knew you were born in Uri. There you go. So um, it's on the birth cert as well. Uh, my, my younger two siblings were also born in Daisy Hill, but my older sister was born in John O'God's Hospital in Uri. So she's in the county downside of Uri, and the three of us were born in County Armagh. So technically, I mean, we're all born in Uri, but two different counties. This can be contentious, guys, in different counties and different towns across the country where rivers separate counties. I mean, it's controversial. It's not your household. I really don't care. In your household. It's very complicated for this time of the morning as well. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sorry, you thought I was going to say I was from County Down, but technically, Kathleen. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like everything I know about you has now just completely changed. You know, Monaghan man through and through, but you were actually born in Armagh. If I had had my say, I would have been born in in Monaghan Hospital. I just wasn't. It it, it actually irks me. It's one of my life's great regrets, but I couldn't control it. See, when when I get a car, I don't care what car registration is on it. If I move to Nepal tomorrow, I'm getting a Monaghan Reg. I don't care. MN. It has to be MN. I don't think you're allowed to do that. Yeah. I think you might be arrested. Mm. <laughs> or Mon- or Monaghan people do what they want. Violent people up there, apparently. Um, Kathleen, we, yes. uh, we have been, over the last couple of weeks, talking your, your story, which uh, has gone viral, I think, uh, safe to say, with uh, Emma Mitchell and her story of her pregnancy and, and how it impacted her career uh, and how it impacted her financially. Um, to say it's done the rounds would be an understatement, but uh, we've heard um, in, a, in a column from Sarah Bjork Gunnar and I hope I've pronounced her name correctly, uh, formerly of Leon, currently of Juventus, um, an Icelandic legend mm-hmm. who's won the Champions League, but, but she's written a piece along similar lines. It seems to be a bit of a follow-on to the story. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So, like you say, Champions League winner, scored in the Champions League final when she joined Leon. Um, but she wrote this article in the Players' Tribune last night talking about her experiences in Leon when she was pregnant. So, Leon is the club that we always put forward as they've put so much money into the women's game. You know, they give amazing contracts. They give, they sign all the top players. You know, they've won the Champions League eight times. They've dominated in France until like the last couple of years where PSG have come up a little bit. Whenever they win, Jean-Michel Aulis, who's the club president, gives all the women like kind of NFL style rings to like mark that they've won another European championship. And generally you'd say, you know, seems like a good club for supporting women. Um, But according to this piece that she wrote, that is not the case. So she became pregnant around March 2021. So about like a year and a bit into her contract with the club. And she says like, in the back of your mind, you feel guilty of something, like you're letting people down. So that was her first reaction to finding out she was pregnant, but she went ahead with it. She decided she didn't want to tell her teammates for a little while because, you know, until you're 12 weeks, things can happen, you don't know. But she did tell the team doctor and the team physios, and they were really supportive of her. Then uh, they were playing PSG, which has kind of become one of the big games. It's kind of, it's a bit like Chelsea Arsenal in England. It's the game where whoever wins tends to go on to win the league because mm. it's so close between the two of them. And the coach asked her, did she want to come on at halftime? And she was like, I actually just physically can't. Like I've thrown up three times already today. It's not possible. So that was kind of the stage where she realized she had to tell her team. And initially the club seemed quite supportive the doctor, the club was just like really uncertain if she could or should keep playing because COVID was happening at the time and she was quite sick in that like first trimester. So it was agreed that she would return to Iceland and she would like continue the rest of her pregnancy there. Club seemed absolutely fine. And so she went back to Iceland. She said she felt like a weight had been lifted off her because she didn't realise how much tension she was carrying in her body, stressing about the team and whether she could play, whether she should play, what was the right thing to do. And then it came to like a month later and, you know, the paycheck arrives in. It's always a great day for all of us. And there was no paycheck. And she was a bit like, oh, this is strange. But she was like, I'm in Iceland. Maybe something has got mixed up along the way. It's fine. I'll check out with the club. So her agent reached out to the club. No answer. Next month came along. No paycheck once again. Her agent reached out again. Still no answer. FIFPRO, the players union, reached out. No answer. She then went to FIFA And she was like, you know, what's going on here? I should be paid. And FIFA got in touch with the club and the club were like, well, under French law, we're we're not going to pay you anymore. We're sorry about the first two months. We'll give you that. But we're not paying you anymore. Now, rules had just come out in FIFA that uh, under those laws, you should get 14 weeks and at least two thirds of your wage during that 14 weeks, including eight weeks after you actually had your baby. So these were quite like big laws. And she says at the time, like, I knew those laws existed, but I actually didn't know what, how they applied to me because I'd never paid attention or I didn't expect to get pregnant. Um, But basically what the whole thing shows is that she was then completely alienated by her club. She went down the legal route with FIFA and the club said, if you go to FIFA, you'll never play for Leon again, which, you know, you can imagine someone coming into work and saying, 
oh, sorry, you got pregnant, you're, you're never working here again, you're never sitting at your desk again, whatever it is. Um, but she did, she went through with it. She went back to the club after she had her baby and she tried to play there, but it seemed like they made it very difficult for her and it seemed to go right throughout the club. She talks about Jean-Michel Aulis coming in to the room one day when she was there and just completely ignoring her, ignoring her baby. Um, so, yeah, she took her case. She won. Uh, Leon now have to pay her over €82,000. So, like, it's quite a lot of money that she was missing out on uh, with it all. And she eventually got a transfer away and went to Juventus. But it's just all the things she was talking about were exactly the same things that we talked to Emma Mitchell about. You know, the feeling of isolation, the feeling of players not knowing how to react to you. The guilt as well. The guilt, yeah. The wanting to train but not knowing how much you could train. And with, like, she said the doctors and physios were actually very good to her at Lyon. Um but that the knowledge gap was still there, no, but they did try, so there was that. And obviously there is a difference where Reading did pay Emma Mitchell during her maternity leave, so that part is different in the two cases. But yeah, it's just, it's so mad. And like in the FIFA rules it says, uh, the proposals provide that a female player should not suffer any disadvantage on the basis of her pregnancy, which is just a general rule and employment you would think anyways um so yeah it's on the players tribune it's really worth a read it made me want to throw my phone out the window when i read it last night that women are still going through this in 2023 well, it's basically abuse mm. what's gone on here is abuse uh mental abuse and there's clearly uh, as you mentioned over eighty thousand euro but the stress of that while you're pregnant of not getting paid of just having a new baby of having your entire career basically taken away from you and the club it seems clearly trying to lay down a marker knowing that word would get round to the other players that if you follow her path and if you end up getting pregnant you're out of this club you don't get to play for the biggest club in the world you don't get to play for the most successful club in European football if you intend having a baby and as well doing this to such a big name player as well you know like she's very well respected she's very well known she played at Wolfsburg for like four years before she joined Lyon captains Iceland you know one of the best midfielders out there you know it's not like you're doing this someone who doesn't have a platform as well so yeah it's it's insane I'm so glad she like did go public with it because otherwise we wouldn't know this this result came down in May or was it yeah I think it was May last year and no one has known about it since then. It's just that she decided to write this Players' Tribune uh, article about it. But it just makes you think, you know, how many other players have maybe become pregnant and just dropped off the face of the earth? Yeah. And we we didn't know why. We didn't. And this is Leon, a club that clearly has the money to do these things. You know, it's, it's well, not no, like I, they I don't. Think far graver things than that as well, that um, the pressure players are under not to have uh, children as to what's going through the minds of young women if they do get pregnant mm. with the pressure they're under from their clubs. Like, there is, obviously, off the piece you did last year, there's such a big question. You know, I even think about the developments we're looking for of football in this country and professionalism. That is football fully thinking through that everything is involved in professionalism it's not just play, paying somebody a wage every week to play football mm. there's all the other bits that come into that like football and sports seems to think it's completely separate in terms of workers rights and in many ways uh, in many ways it is you get away with things in a sporting arena that you would never get away in a normal workplace but that football clubs are making people professional and then just assuming that actually the things that happen to women in normal workplaces wouldn't happen to them and they're just totally ill-equipped 
for what happens next and just want to put their head in the sand and completely ignore it. Yeah, well, I know we've talked about the US League and maybe like not great terms in the last couple of weeks, but like say clubs like Angel City, there is the top pick in the NWSL draft this year, Alyssa Thompson. She's the first ever high school player to actually be drafted into the league as a pro. And the reason she joined Angel City was because they said, well, we're going to make sure you have a full education program. You can do your third level degree while you're playing pro with us. Might take you a year or two longer than normal, but we we are committed to doing that. And she said that was one of the specific reasons why she joined that club. And other US clubs are actually quite good at you know, providing this sort of, whether it's fertility care, whether it's maternity care, they are already writing those into their contracts. So like there is a, there is an example there that could be followed if clubs chose, but like, it's exactly like you said, it's not just paying someone a wage. There is so much more that goes into this and it's so much more that maybe women do require when they play sports because of that element of if you want to get pregnant or if you want to have a family you know, you do have to take that into consideration, but like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it, it's such a it's such a big thing in everyone's lives, you know. And if anything, most of these women are like more and more determined to get back to play and to be even better when they come. Like Alex Morgan is playing better now than before she had her baby. And uh, yes, it took her like nearly a year afterwards to get there. But you know, why why are we writing these players off? Why are we saying, ah, oh, well, no, you've had a baby, so you know. You're not going to be able to run and score goals. That's simply impossible. It's an insane story. Uh, theplayerstribune.com, as you say, Kathleen, for anyone who wants to read that, it's a, it's a crazy story. And as you say, even the guilt, like at being told, you know, finding out you're pregnant and then having to just be like, well, if guilt. you're in that position, which she was, you should just be happy. She was like, I wanted to be happy, but mm. I couldn't. I felt guilty. And you're like, that's the worst place to be. Yeah. Highly recommend for people to, to seek that out this morning if you want to have a read, as we say, at theplayerstribune.com. Kathleen, thanks a million, as always. 8.07am on this uh, Wednesday mornings, uh, OTBM. After the break, we are doing our very first power rankings, GEA power rankings, of the year on OTBAM with a brand new mayor in town, Tommy Rooney, who has ruthlessly, ruthlessly and callously capitalised on Owen Sheehan's absence. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yeah, approaching ten past eight on this Wednesday morning's OTBM. Tommy Rooney, very good morning. Shane, good morning. Tommy, 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 you have a tough job here. You've got big shoes to fill. Uh, I understand yeah. you, you, you you sought out the um, permission of our fine friend Owen Sheehan to, to take over the mantle. I did. Um, do you want me to read our WhatsApps? Please do. This is, the, of course, the GA Power Rankings, and Tommy Rooney is taking over from Owen Sheehan. It's legal. So I don't know if this is, yeah. There's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't screen record, but uh, I said, listen, Owen, hope all is well. The lads have been on. They're asking me to take over the Power Rankings. I said I wouldn't do it unless I spoke to you first. And he got back and he said, you're asking a man who is in an Uber to a Medland Techno Club for advice. Best of luck. There you go. So Medellin, of course. Then he rang me from the club. He rang me from the club. That's where Pablo Escobar was from. I got all the secret sauce. I found out how the figure roll was made. Basically, Owen Sheehan was making it up as he went along. Well, I think Owen has had plenty of secret sauce uh, wherever he is uh, right now. Plus, yeah, that won't be happening. More sense than generally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How many days later did he reply to you, Tommy? I got back straight away. Oh, straight away. Back straight away. Back straight ah. away. Yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to pass on the, I think it was weighing heavy on his shoulders, the, the power rankings and kind of where he had left things. So, look, I'm taking it on. Um, 
I'm taking it seriously. Yeah. There's a, you know, I'd be I'd be a bit more into the data and the analytical bits and pieces that make counties tick. So this is going to be absolutely correct. There's going to be no swaying me here, oh. and I think we're onto a good one. Jesus, yeah. I was going to say, well, between the power rankings and the crappy quiz, I'd say that added years to, to Owen Sheehan's life and, and took away from his life expectancy. But I mean, we, we've passed that mantle over to you now, Tommy. Um, yeah. I, I, I haven't looked. I don't think Nathan has either. So neither of us have. We've both opted not to look at your list. Without, without looking, um, who do you think would be higher in the rankings, Mayo or Monaghan? Oh, Mayo, I'd say. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus, yeah, Mayo. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's with Oshin Mullen and, and Lee Keegan out the gap, so... I, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see where Martin are. Of course, they'll they'll have to be Tommy in the, in the top eight, given they're a Division One team. Uh, new management, new start, uh, good young players coming through. Manzi well, before we start, year. go on. Complaining before we start complaining, will we just get into it? Go on. We'll, we'll start with so what is it? Thirty-two to twenty-five. Yeah, we're going from thirty-two to twenty-five. Now this is obviously quite a few counties in Division Four, but we'll we'll run through it. So thirty-second, Waterford. No win in Division Four last year. No win in Munster. No win in the Talchon Cup in 2022. They started their league with a draw versus Tip, but it just didn't improve after that. They are rooted to the bottom of the table here, unfortunately, and hopefully we'll see them move up the power rankings with a few more wins this year. 31, Wicklow. Intriguing move getting Oshin McConville involved. It is interesting down this side of the table, lads. Uh, Kevin O'Brien produced one of the performances of the championships last year, a hat-trick against Leash in a great win in Leinster for Wicklow. They were beaten then by Mead before they won their Talchon Cup opener to Waterford and lost to Offaly. 30th, Wexford. New management team with John Hegarty in charge. Shane Roach stepped in after Galvin walked away. A respectable enough tenure, but football just isn't catching fire in Wexford at the minute and they're in the bottom three. In Carlow, Niall Carew is the boss. Um, it feels like it's a long way off that summer of 2017 when Carlow were rising and there was a bit of a buzz around the county. Mm. To be honest, I started doing this and I was regretting my decision to even have them so high. But they had a good win in the Tatcha Cup last year, two strong wins, um, a good performance versus the winners, Westmead, in the quarterfinal. Went under the radar a little bit how well they did. And they have a couple of really good players there, and Jordan Morrissey, who'll be the heartbeat of that team. 28, London, one of the stories of the season last year, early on. A little bit like Armagh. They were the rock stars early on. They had a couple of big results. Um, I'll be honest. I don't really know what their squad is like this year, so they're one of those counties I'm going to have to watch. But Michael Maher is back in charge and a very highly rated young manager. 27th, Leash. Sad sight seeing a team like yeah. this down so far. They've obviously lost Ross Munley in the winter, a legend of the game, one of the longest service players that we'd seen. Billy Sheen is still in charge. One good sign for Leash. It can only get better from here. <laughs> and they've had the Port Arlington players back, the county champions for the last three years. A lot of the counties down this side of the rankings, can't get their best players on the pitch. So they had four on, four or five in the, in the mix in the Auburn Cup. So that's good to see. 26th place, Longford. They were blessed last year not to be relegated. They're in Division 3. They're the lowest Division 3 side here. Paddy Christie has come in. He's compiling that role with the DCU uh, Sigerson job. I think it could be a good fit. And they've flatlined a little bit for the last two years. So I think they're on the way up. Number 25, Leitrim. They got the Andy Moore and bounce last year. There was a real vibrancy and excitement around the, the county. You could see it in any of their games. They wanted to get the Crow Park in the Tatchin Cup last year. They didn't get there. Lost an epic penalty shootout to Sligo in Carrick and Shannon, which is absolutely happened. We'll see what happens. They'll be mm. targeting Division 4. Themselves and Sligo were unlucky last year. Cabin and Tip went straight back up. So if they can get out of Division 4 this year, you'll see them moving up the power rankings. The only things... Any arguments? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think Longford will finish higher than, than 26th by the end of the year. I think Paddy Christie's going to do good things and they've had a good pre-season. Uh, mm. My only question, I suppose, on Leitrim is 
Will you are you biased? Like, will you feel a pressure to have Leitrim higher because of your links to Andy Moran? Like, is there like you know Andy's going to be watching? So are, are you going to feel like a, you have to put him higher regardless of how they play? It's Ireland, Shane. If we were to do everything here based off links and connections and people we knew and where we had relations, I'd be in big bother. Fair point. Fair point. So, I, the answer I, is no. There. No, I think it's interesting. I'd be interested to see where Sligo are because one of Sligo or Leitrim are going to end up in the All-Ireland series mm. and it'd be mm-hmm. uh, fascinating to see by the time we get to the 16 teams that are in that All-Ireland series where Leitrim and Sligo are. 24-17 to 17, then, Tommy? Yeah, it's a very good point and that's where we're going to start with Sligo, 24. Right. They had a decent 2022. They played in Croker and lucky not to get out of Division 4. This year, I think they will. Um, again, similar to Leash and a couple of the other counties, very few players from the county champions, Turles Strand, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's seven of the last eight. Could be six of the last seven. Um, in the panel that's been announced by Tony McIntyre. Shout out to the Sligo PRO, Podrick McKeown. Like, he sent us the 38-man panel. He mm-hmm. told us where the clubs were. He let us know who Tony McIntyre had picked. Obviously, Tony McIntyre gave the thumbs up. But that's great. We need a bit more of that. We need to know who the players are, where they're from. And uh, we could do a pen pick on what makes them tick as well. Mm. We'd all love that. Um, but I think Nathan's really right. I'm not sure how much that Connacht side of the draw is going to help those teams. Personally, I feel, look at what Westmead did. Look at the bounce they've got. Wait till you see where Westmead are. That is what they need. A bit of a touch and cup run against similar opposition, getting good competitive games. But that's an argument for another day. Sligo have Niall Murphy, which is why they are above the other teams in Division 4, one of the best players in the grade down there. So, number 23, Antrim. Andy Mackey's in charge. Uh, I might get noise there to hurry up a little bit, because I will, if that's the case. Uh, <laughs> impressive first Colin year for McGinley. McGinley and O'Neill. Uh, poor last year, though. And it kind of, they tailed off under the lads. So, uh, will they get a manager bounce? I'm not sure every county can get a manager bounce, but we'll see what happens here. They're very poor against Cavan. Uh, in the championship mm. um, nearly turned Paddy Anders off football which is saying so <laughs> 22nd for Mana Kieran Donnelly another one of the young managers a lot of young managers in the mix this year lads. there's 14 new managers so mm. I am not going to say that every county is getting a manager bounce 14 new managers 9 of them are taking over a county team for the first time so it's going to get a lot of new ideas hopefully um, so Kieran Donnelly's second year it's a decent for Mana team they're young he's putting a stamp on it they're in transition though and they stayed in Division 3 last year. They lost to Rome before a win and a loss in the Tatching Cup. Mm-hmm. Offaly are 21st. I think Offaly could be in a spot of honour this year. Um, disappointed with them last year to watch them live a few times. I think that the under-20 talent is there, but I still think it needs another year. Some serious quality, but there's just not enough. Uh, Liam Kearns has taken over them. So I think they're definitely going to be in the lower half of Division 3, which is a dangerous place to be. 20th place, down. Now, I want to put an asterisk here. I don't want to talk down up too much. But down are a type of county that I get excited by. I love the football of the early 90s, lads. And having down come back means we're going to have have Cork back. And it means that we're going to have Mead back. And that is why I want... Once one of them start coming back, the others will come follow suit. Well, Derry are back as well. Yeah, it is really a a 90s nostalgia. And Manchester United and Arsenal back in the Premier League. This is nostalgia central in recent weeks. Love it. And what did Mayo do in the 90s? <laughs> Lost a few Ireland finals, the usual. Lost a few All Ireland finals. Okay, from now. Down. Brawls. Of all the counties in this tier, I'm most excited for the potential down have, and it's because things have gotten so bad when they didn't have to. Uh, the wheels fell off the Paddy Taddy rain. It should have been better. Year one was good. Year two, COVID hit. Year three was a, it was just it was just a disaster. Yeah. And last year was even worse for down. Uh, James McCartan was in. Fallouts with the players. Uh, issues with um, training weekends in Dublin were. 
uh, there was there was a couple of discipline issues with, with drinking and stuff. It all kind of fell fell apart. So Conor Laverty's taking charge probably a little earlier than he would have wanted. But mm. you know, Conor Laverty has been shaping himself for this job for a long time. He's been uh, coaching for years. He's been involved in Trinity and clubs and counties in the background, quietly building up his reputation and his his resume. So early days, um, he. Did very well with the downer 20s. He's combining that role, I believe. So there's a lot on his plate this year. But interestingly, he's not taking on the media duties. You won't see Conor Laverty chatting to the media. <laughs> Mickey Donnelly has been doing that. He's been out in front of the Mechanic Cup after the Mechanic Cup game. So keep an eye on down. Their Ulster Championship opener is against Donegal. I don't want to put it out there. It's a big but one. That's, depending on where those teams meet, going up and down the hill, that's a big one. Tipperary are 19th. I think tip football is in a bit of bother. Such a glorious win in 2020 and things just haven't clicked since then. Like many of the counties in this half of the table, um, they can't get the best players on the pitch. Conor Reardon flirted with the idea of staying around. He's gone back to Australia. Michael Quinnivan hasn't committed. Two footballers to start from every, nearly every county in the country. Louder 18th, Samuel Roy, Mickey Hart. Hmm. I wanted to have them a bit higher up, but if they can back up their big talk with performances and results, they'll be flying up the tables here. Limerick are ahead of them in 17th. Billy Lee is a loss. But maybe that was as good as it was going to get for Limerick. Ray Dempsey is in. Interesting to see how close he was to the Mayo job. They need a competitive division too. And if they do get that, they're going up the table. They're 17 because they got to the Munster final last year. I like, I, I like it so far. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to argue when there, when there hasn't been much football. But um, so far, no arguments. We'll it's go, the easiest one of the year. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, uh, the rest of them will be, will be debated hotly. 16 to 9, Tommy. So we have a bit of time on the, the top eight. I've been watching all the preseason game boys. That's why it's easy. I know I'm right. That is the thing. 16th, Cavan. I'm putting a lot of stock in that 2020 win. Nightmare 2021. They did all they could in 2022. The top division four. They ran down the goal close. They lost a tight touch cup final. And there's plenty of quality there. Another promotion in the bag. It's a dangerous year though. Mickey Graham's there a couple of years. There was a bit of talk that there might be a change this year. There's not. So uh, we'll see what Cavan happened. Mead, 15th. Might be lower than you might have expected, but I can't, I can't really make a case for me. O'Rourke is starting from a, a low base here in terms of the energy and the quality in the squad. Um, and that's where it is. There'll be lots of time to argue about me later in the year when they fly up the rankings with a couple of wins, but I'm leaving them in 15th. 14th, Cork. If anyone listened to the football pod yet, I'm not going to blame you for not listening so far because it's only out about 36 hours. But yeah, you'd know who James O'Donoghue's team to pick for 2023 was. He said Cork. I can't get my head around it, Oof. but he has... Big Cork up massively for this that's year. That's based on one game in the McGrath Cup? That's based on him being a Kerry man and then begging Kerry to have a bit of competition. Yeah. A bit more competition cute, in Munster. So, but they don't want competition I, in Munster now, Kerry, because the All-Ireland series means they'll get enough tough I don't know, games I don't know, Nathan, ahead of an All-Ireland quarter-final, semi-final. Just mind games, that's all it is. You tell me what the motivation is to have Cork so so featured in his uh, teams to watch in 2023. And you know what? The lads called it right last year. James's team was Derry. Paddy's team was Galway. So... For 13th, I thought your Gilroy would be here to be given out Kildare. They're 13th. What have they done to be any higher? Uh, they've lost multiple Leinster finals. They've beaten Dublin and Newbridge. Grant. Big, win, big wins against uh, Kildare, with Monaghan, uh, Dublin, Kerry in the lead last year. Probably should have, could have stayed league. up in Division 1, but, but didn't. Yeah, league. But league's important now. League is important, but I'm just going to say league schmeek. 12th. This is what I think about the league. The Talchon Cup winners are 12th. Now, I obviously love the league, but the Tadjiko winners are 12th. There's a serious buzz. They have a new manager. They've won silverware over the last couple of years. That's what I mean by doing something. If they win Division 3, I'd back them to make a Leinster final. They're on the same side as Mead and Loud and Offaly. 
I think Longford. But Tommy, you're not massively underestimating that they won the Talgen Cup because they were one of the lower ranked teams and there's such a massive difference between the quality of Division 1, Division 2 that teams that have played in Division 1, Division 2 just have something in them that will always have them a step ahead. Yes, Westmead are on the right track, but like, are they a better team right now than Mead? I think they are. I think when you've seen Westmead's performances against Kildare in the last two years, they've been really good. They should have beaten Kildare the last two years. Um, but they didn't. Uh, yeah, but they've gone and they've done something. They've won something. And, and you can't underestimate. Like Those lads went to Mexico together on a team holiday you can't you can't talk about how that bonds a team so there you go that's what that that's given Westmead extra kudos extra bonus and I just think they've delivered so it's a team as well that have won a couple of league titles over the years mm. so I'm putting Westmead there Fair. you can argue with me all you want I know you're trying to argue with me but there you go <laughs> wouldn't be like that uh, at all 11th Clare couple of big retirements the youth there is going to need a bit of time but I think they're going to have a solid division 2 again um, James and Paddy were, were questioning that a little bit on the on the football pod, but I think there's a, a strong team there. Eleven position, tenth. This is where it gets interesting. You can obviously see it on screen. Monaghan. Mm, to be honest, I'm not going to argue too much. I probably have Monaghan at the moment ahead of Donegal, and that's that's the only other team I'd have them ahead of. That, that Donegal. That, I, I think Donegal are on a, are on a downward curve. Monaghan are potentially on a, on a less downward spiral. Um, but I just think Donegal, with the loss of Murphy and new manager, I, I, I know Monaghan have a new manager as well, but look, remains to be seen. Monaghan could win the Ulster Championship, lads. You never know. Oh, Jesus. We, don't, we didn't have Clare on our screen, by the way. So you, 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 your new adopted county you have for, is not on the graphics. So I know it's not your fault. Tommy had to get the balance right between putting Clare high enough that he didn't insult Colin Collins, but also not high enough that Colin Collins mightn't think, well, maybe I could do it a bit of a change and get a good lad from one of the clubs in at some stage during the season. <laughs> so... Brings us to the top, yeah, like, Tommy. The the, the sexy part. Oh, we're moving on. So we're yeah. moving past Monaghan or Scotland. No, he's comfortable. Okay. Like, Monaghan are uninteresting, so move on. <laughs> For well, now. Monaghan are interesting. That's very, the way I want to have Very it. worrying how long it took to, to get a manager. Vinnie Corey's in. Yeah, exactly. Number eight, Donegal. Donegal on paper. They are the best team in the country on paper. What? Um, they are in. They're, uh, it's a joke. They're just. Everyone has backed Donegal over the last couple of years to win games because on paper they look better than they are. They just haven't delivered under Declan Bonner. Murphy has left catastrophic loss you're right Shane they, they could be in serious danger and I do think they're in danger um, they're eight though because on paper they've got some super footballers okay. and no one's ever won a trophy deliver- on paper I'd like, to see, I'd like to see it happen seventh place Tyrone I'm expecting them to bounce back last year was a blip it was a bad year the talent is there uh, I know I've got the 2021 All-Ireland Champions in seventh place yeah, but, but if you're saying it's a blip and you expect them to bounce back how do you have them below Derry think, and Armagh I think I think they won an All-Ireland in 2021 out of nowhere. And I think that the other two teams are in a better position to capitalise. I think... A fluky All-Ireland, is that what you're saying? I just think that it was Mayo's to win and Mayo's lost it. Like So, you know, I just think that Tyrone... If you look at where Mayo were compared to where Tyrone are, I just think Tyrone... I look at I'm giving them a chip on their shoulder early in the year. That's what we need. We need another contender. We'll see them come back. If the Canavans deliver, Tyrone will be in third place. But it's hard to know whether they can do it on the intercounty stage. But... Have they not shown that they can do it on the intercounty stage? And that's the entire reason they should be above, like, Armagh in particular. Like, it's just the that big, team. The that... big championship games, Armagh haven't done it. They've almost done it. They've almost got there. But Tyrone have actually done it. 
and their history says that yes they have their down years and maybe you know maybe they weren't the best team in the All-Ireland Series the year they won it maybe some other county should have won it but you know history went were. against them yet again but they were the best team seventh place for a team that won the All-Ireland mm. uh, just over a year ago and yep. have proven that they can win these sort of tight encounters when they're at it when they're fully focused when they're at it yeah but it's just that team that won in 2021 had a savage level of um, competition in that squad. They lost six players. There was issues last year. I'm just not convinced that that's all been shedded. And I just need to see them in action. I just need to see them in action. It was a blip, but it was it was an alarming enough blip last year as well. We're running out of time, so, Tommy, but you, you might run us seventh, through the top teams. Sixth, Derry. They won the Ulster title last year, but I have them down here because to get to that next level is obviously fine margins, but to get to the next, ne- next level, we're going to have to see something different. Very interesting to see what Gallagher does. I'd imagine he's going to target Division 2 this year. They've got the Derry title. They need to get to Division 1 to get that bit higher. Um, and it's top-level stuff here, so it is really fine margins. Mayo were fifth. I don't know whether you think I've been too high, Nathan, but semi-finalists last, or quarter-finals last year, consistency over the last couple of years is getting a lot of stock. Sure, they had injuries last year, but they've got players back. And the players they've lost in Mullen and Keegan, they've regained in Ryan O'Donoghue, Killian O'Connor being fit this year, and Tommy Conroy hopefully being back to the levels they were at in 2021. There's a depth there. McStay is going to bring a new style, a new flavour, some new footballers. It'll be interesting to see it. I think they're going to get it. converted here, Tommy. I'm excited. I'm excited just listening to you. I'll take fifth. Top four semi-finalists for the All-Ireland. Who are they, Tommy? Top four. I'm putting our man there, Shane. And right. people may... Uh, yeah, but you see, you're our man fourth because you are the leader of the cult of Kieran McGinney. That's not true. That is not true. I am no leader of any cult, but I no do, leader of men. I do love the way our man play football, but I also do think that they were the fourth best team in the country last year. Um, they lost on penalties to Galway. They had delivered time after time in Division One of the league. They had a blip against Donegal, but that was a blip. That was a moment. That was one issue. And they fixed it all and they destroyed Tyrone and Donegal in the qualifiers. They should have beaten Galway. I don't think Derry laid a hand on should have would have Galway. Mm. But I, I, I'm just comparing it to the Derry defeat to Galway. I think Derry looked a little limited against Galway. Armagh took charge and took over. Uh, Galway, third place. Runners up last year. Breakout year. The individuals they have are, are exceptional. And they've got Cook, Peter Cook and Ian Burke back. So when Tyrone have lost the depth, Galway have added depth. And that is why they're third and they could very easily be first this year. Second place, Dublin. Such fine margins that Sean O'Shea free. Still should have beaten Kerry without Conor Callaghan. Kerry were probably a little blessed. The hunger is going to be there. They didn't even play their second team in the O'Byrne Cup. They played their third team because the first team and the second team are being dogged through an absolutely insane preseason. They must be doing it out in Innisfail or somewhere where the Indo can't get photos of them. <laughs> but the Dubs are on their way back. McCaffrey and Manuel will be flying come championship. And I think the Dubs are going to have a lot to say this year in the championship. Kerry are number one. Clean sweep in 22. If the Cliffords, the Jack, I do think they will have a poor league. I'm not sure how Jack O'Connor will manage this chase for back-to-backs. I have my doubts. But that is the 2023 official power rankings. Sorry no for running so No, listen, the, the best part of those power rankings was the fact that Ross Common are such an irrelevance. You didn't even mention them. You, They're you such an irrelevance. Up. Such an irrelevance that you didn't even mention. I know a few Roscommon lads that would not be happy with that, but anyway, well, look, my my mommy's from Roscommon, so oh. I, I better, I'll get in trouble here. But look, at my thing about Roscommon is they're ninth, they're above Monaghan. I think that they are possibly bouncing back down to Division 2 next year. There's a bit of a yo-yo effect there. They may have peaked with what they have and they might have to build again. Same with Monaghan, build again with some of the youth coming through 
for their next charge at maybe what's what's the tops they're going to get in the Ireland semi-final possibly um, it's just the way things are Tommy great first episode and I'll tell you what that's the the only episode of the year where there'll be no arguments I would have to say yeah. so uh, enjoy it while it lasts but uh, Tommy great stuff thanks a million thanks lads Don't cheers be. talk soon of course listen to the, the football pod as well with uh, Tommy and Paddy Andrews and James Dunhu wherever you get it but at 8.31am and uh, Keith Wood has been waiting very patiently on the line morning Keith Morning, gents. How are you? Keeping well. It's very excited, you know. <laughs> well, he's living down in Clare there, so I'm sure it's you know it's, there's something in the water that gets him excited down down below. You know, you know yourself. Um, you? Listen, the, the Eddie Jones stuff. Um, what's going on here, Dave Rennie? A lot of people feel a little bit sorry for him. The timing is uh, has got a lot of people talking World Cup year, but the fact that he was talking to them for eight, for 14 months, Keith, uh, behind England's backs. This is this is mad stuff, isn't it? Well, I'm. Yeah, I look. I think Rennie was under a huge amount of pressure. I think there were there were a lot of conversations over the last period of time because of the losses. Now, if you look at Australian rugby, it's and more I think than any other country. If Australia don't play well, people are able to walk away in droves. I mean, the Australian crowds are they're not fickle, but they are they have an expectation of success, and if the success isn't there, they don't support it. I mean, they've become incredibly uh, aggressive with it. And I think that that was, that was happening in a, for a while. And I do feel the, the players were behind uh, Dave Rennie. But I just think when the opportunity arose with Eddie Jones, um, that Australian rugby were going to go for it because... Um, and I know the conversations have been there for a while, but the conversations were for him to take over as director of rugby for Australian rugby post the 23 World Cup. Um, it wasn't for a conversation beforehand. I think most people would be having conversations to what they're going to do in the future. So I think we can go for conspiracy theories very quickly, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. However, when they do get him and they have got him, I expect him to get a bounce pretty quickly. And he has a history of delivering in... Uh, the short to medium term in pretty much every team he's ever gone to. And look, I think he kind of breaks, the, he breaks everybody after about two years, but in that two year period, he could do amazing things. So I, I like, I would have said it was an incredibly smart piece of business on behalf of Australia because they get a guy who has huge uh, rugby capital, um, has been uh, ousted from a team um, in their, in the same group will have an awful lot of the IP of the team and the players in his in his arsenal for them. I think it's fantastic business for Australia. And it's whether he's able to keep that for a longer period of time. Because consistently, I think he, you know, he, he kind of loses patience after a couple of years. But this is nine months he has first. And I think he could do a really good job. The the severance package or, or uh, lack of a... Um... I guess a clause from the RFU in the severance package with with Eddie Jones to prevent him coaching rivals. Uh, the RFU is saying that they didn't adopt that package for legal and moral reasons. I mean, is this going to be a lesson, Keith? Do you think for for other rugby unions, international rugby unions, to to stop this kind of thing happening again in the World Cup year? Yeah, I, like it's funny. I I looked at that phraseology of legal and moral reasons. Um, for legal reasons, if it's in the contract. Um, that when if they they do get rid of him, that but they got rid of him. He didn't walk away. Mm. So for that, it becomes quite hard for them to to tie him down. 
Um, and his his team did a great job. You know, that's that's the way I would look at it. They, they did a great job. But funny, I get stuck on this myself often because um, you would think in a lot of cases that if you lose a job, you know, people still have to work and still have to make money and um, still have bills to pay, a whole variety of different things. Um, you know, you, you can't really or you don't really want to restrain them. I think it's unusual in this instance because it looks, it just looks looks a little bit wrong. But I just, again, I think they've just done, a, his, his guys have just done a very good job with him to make certain that he is employable and employable very quickly. Um, putting in in elements are difficult. I, the moral side of it is is an entertaining view. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think he has, um, like he came out and said he, he wouldn't talk to any of the England people if he met them now, like he's so bitter with it. I, I mean, I look, I just hope we don't get into this other slagging match that happens consistently. I mean, we don't want the game necessarily being about a coach talking and, you know, bad-mouthing other players or other individuals or other countries. We want to see it to be about the rugby, if at all possible. And it can be entertaining in the short term, but after a bit of a period of time, it becomes a bit tedious. So, look, I hope he just gets on with the, with the idea. If he brings back a lot of players that have been injured in Australia, Australia are on the right side of the draw. They have a history of competing incredibly well in World Cups. I think they'll do a really good job. Uh, Eddie Jones has come back to bite Australia many, many times since he went to England as a 10 wins in their 11 tests against Australia. Culture fit-wise, Eddie Jones, the last year, the amount of stories that have come out about his relationships with other staff members, you know, there was uh, talk of leaving players in tears. Is he, is he a better culture fit for Australian rugby, that abrasiveness, than he was in England? Um, I think he's a great fit in the short term for nearly any country. I think he can, he can shake things up very quickly. I, I think when it looks, uh, for me, when I look back in his time in England, I think he used too many players and he brought them in very early, whether it was on a whim or not, but they got discarded very early. Um, yeah, you look at Steve Borthwick's first squad and you know there has to be an awful lot of what, what was there because they did picked everybody in the country pretty much. But when you see a player like Ben Earl, who has just is pulling up trees uh, and has done consistently and he hasn't had a look in for the last number of years. So I, I think... Um, I think in a short term, he is. Ex- I think he's extraordinary, actually. Um, in in a long term, um, I, I think at times he's given too much power to be able to do different things. And um, I think we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, just on on players. If you fall out of if a, uh, fall out of favor with a coach, you know your career is very very short as a player. If you fall out of favor with a coach. And that coach is there for a long period of time. You mightn't be an international player, you know. And um, look, I think he'll do. I actually, I, I believe he'll do an extraordinary job. I think he'll make it incredibly difficult for England um, when, when when it comes to World Cup time. Like when you say he'd be a good short term fit for any for any country, Keith, to play devil's advocate, it's not that long ago that there were boos and Twickenham and everyone's calling for his head and it's the worst time that England have had in 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 years, certainly under under uh, Jones's tenure. And often when you go back, when Australia go back to another manager years, years later, I think he left in 05, you know, it's almost like the second coming of Jose Mourinho. Maybe it won't be as good as the first time. Like, is, is there a, is there a lot of pressure on Eddie Jones? 
Um, well, he, 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 I mean, again, he said he, he thinks he's one big job left in him. This is his home. He gets an opportunity to, to, you know, to be the coach of the World Cup and then to go for another World Cup and, and Alliance Tour. You know, for me, I think that's that's an awkward one for him because I don't know that he has the amount of players in Australia to be able to sustain that for that period of time. But if you go back to the start of his English career and the first couple of years, he won a Grand Slam in the Championship, won 18 matches on the trot, uh, which is a which is a world record. Um, he has that capacity to to shake things up very very quickly. Whether he'll be able to do it, that's that's entirely difficult uh, or, or difficult to to kind of surmise. Um, look, I had I'd spoken to some of the Australians before the Australia game. I had a really interesting conversation as to where they think they were going and they were trying to go. Um, for them, they need winning, and they need uh, they need to be financially secure as well as possible. Uh, the, there's the benefit of the Lions Tour going down there, and the reason that that's a benefit is that it puts a huge amount of money in their coffers, and they need it. So it's kind of at that right time to be able to make those things. It won't be as kind of flahulic as it as it was with the with the money in 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 uh, in England, where a lot of his programs went over budget. Um, it'll be tighter, but I actually think there 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 can be a there can be an Eddie Jones bounce. Okay, remains to be seen. We'd love to see that uh, England Australia match up in the knockout rounds of the World Cup. It'll be juicy anyway, entertaining as you say as well, Keith. Um, the Irish squad being in tomorrow morning, 9am. We've had our own Cameron Hill on the show this morning, um, given a quite an interesting suggestion that maybe Ross Byrne and Jack Crowley could be alternating number 10s throughout the Six Nations and Johnny Sexton will be given a rest. Do you expect any mad surprises along those lines in the in the squad and then, and then in the selection from Andy Farrell ultimately? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think there's anything mad, actually. And I think one thing Andy Farrell has been is incredibly consistent with his selection and he, he understands... Um, I think very keenly that international rugby is about winning. It is about trying to develop uh, a performance um, uh, mindset, which I think they have done. Um, I think they played incredibly well in the autumn, got the results, played well, didn't play well in some, you know, weren't overly happy with it. Finding out a lot about his players, Ross Byrne is playing a bit better, I think, Um uh, and I do see a, a few changes in him, um, but again, we, we like this is like a perennial conversation with Johnny Sexton as to who's going to take the jersey off him because he's not relinquishing it. Um, is the big disappointment, Keith? That again, Joey Carberry at the weekend, you know, fortnight out from the Six Nations, isn't putting in a performance that you're going. Actually, this guy on form needs to start that you're looking at the performance last weekend and there were good bits and obviously they um, you know, start the game brilliantly and struggle after the red card. But was that a commanding enough performance that Andy Farrell sitting up going, well, actually, you know, I, I don't need to rush Johnny back. Uh, no, but I don't think it was a performance to say that, that you have to pick him ahead of Johnny. It wasn't. Um, I thought he played pretty well. But um, I, I, I think he is stalled somewhat. I, th- I think that ankle injury for him took an awful lot out of him over the last few years. Um, I do think he, um, and I, again, we discussed this last week, I actually think he plays better for Ireland than he does with Monster. Mm. Um, with, uh, you know, better players around him that are used to playing at a higher level, I think he, he, I think he actually does play well with it. Um, 
again, I just don't know that anybody is is putting Johnny under that amount of pressure. And look, uh, we've and we've talked about this a lot, but I still think that the manner in which Ireland are playing and Leinster for for a large part protects the ten a lot more. Um, but you do need the capacity to to hit the line fast from time to time. Um, that isn't happening as much with any of our tens. So while that continues to be the case, um, it actually puts uh, Ross Byrne further up the pecking order. And I still think, as it stands at the moment, uh, you know, Ross Ross Byrne is is there, um, Joey is there, and Crowley is is getting the chances now. And the more Crowley plays, the better chance he has. The more they get exposure at international level, the better it is. Um, but we still want to try and win this this tournament. Um, but it's whether you just drop somebody in entirely and risk losing. But I think we dropped guys in in the autumn and we didn't lose. So, um, look, I think you're looking at the whole board as much as you possibly can and play the players that you have to maximise what we have for now and for the World Cup. And that's a balancing act that Farrell has to deal with. Gavin Coombs said that not being in the November international squad was a bit of a kick up the arse for him. And I mean, if you look at his performances now, Keith, maybe it was the kick up the ass that he that he one hundred percent needed. Like the likes of him, someone massively in form. Like, do you, do you include the likes of Gavin Coombs? Is he someone on on the edge of the of the squad, or where where would you see his um, his ceiling being at the moment? Yeah, look, I think he I think he's got a very high ceiling. Um, he also was injured. He he's uh, you know it takes a while to come back from injury as well. Um, his form had dipped. He didn't look fit enough and like that doesn't that isn't for a guy not looking after himself for fitness but fitness can be injury and anything else as well that goes with it mm. but um, I think look I think he's playing really really well in the style that Munster need him to play well at but he's doing a huge amount of work now and I think if you look at his work rate at the moment it seems to be a lot higher so obviously people are going to talk about him more um, but I would say Caelan Doris is is magnificent at, at the moment. So, but what you're always looking for are changes in the team. So, what way are we going to be set? Are we always going to have um, Peter Mahoney or Peter Mahoney type six? Um, and if not, if we go for more power in different matches, you could end up with uh, Gavin Coombs at six. And fine because, like, we need players coming from, and actually, you need players coming from every province. There's uh, Leinster doing incredibly well and there's so many players coming from Leinster it's fantastic but you do need the blend from different places and you need the different types of player and I will say Gavin Coombs is different his ability to short carry um, and power over um, and you know that that's an essential part of the game is pretty phenomenal his strike rate is is incredible for Munster at the moment the overall balance of the squad then that'll be named tomorrow. We were talking about Jamie Osborne's performance on Monday, and you know Roy O'Connor was saying like maybe it's just that little bit too late to make a run towards the squad now, eight months out. And there's players like Connor Murray and Keith Earls who didn't make the Munster squad, but have so much money in the bank when it comes to what they've done for Ireland through the years. Are we heading to the stage actually where it is too late for Bolters that you know the Jimmy O'Brien got in just in time and that the Connor Murrays and Keith Earls and, and Bundy Aki, who I know Andy Friend has backtracked maybe somewhat on what was said at the weekend, that those guys have done it for their country and that that's probably the first thing Andy Farrell will be thinking about now? 
Well, Farrell thinks about his team. He's not really thinking about the other teams. And I know when he says he plays players, picks players on form, he can also go back to what happened in the autumn. Um, for me, Osborne, it isn't too late, actually. If he um, he is showing a um, size and a capability and a stepping capability um, that, yeah, we can definitely use. That's the way I would look at it. So I... If look, if I was Farrell, I would have him in the squad because he's going to learn an awful lot in the squad anyway. And if the chance comes and you can pick him, you pick him. Mm. Um, we've had a lot of injuries in 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 twelve. Look, I think Gary Ringrose has been playing phenomenal rugby, like a really fantastic season. Um, Henshaw has been injured. Bundy has been in and out with uh, suspension and bits of injuries as well. Um, we have to see who you know who we have at our disposal. If this is the next line guy on the on the in, on the line, we need to see him in the squad. So no, I don't think it's too late ever, um, because what you are looking for is a spark. And are they able to be maneuvered into the system? Because that's what you need to be able to do. Farrell needs to know that if you bring a new guy in, that he doesn't dismantle parts of the system to make that happen. Um, and I think he seems to have the aptitude in which to do it, which is more on a, um, you know, a lot of injuries and now he's playing. So you just give, you have to give these guys a chance when they play really well, you have to give them a chance, you know? Yeah, for sure. It'll be very interesting to see if we have any surprise omissions or uh, inclusions yeah. in tomorrow's squad around this time, this time tomorrow. Uh, Keith, brilliant insight as always. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers, gents. Thanks, Good Keith. stuff. 8.48am uh, on this Wednesday morning's OTBM. Delighted to say John Duggan joins us back in studio. John, what do we think of Tottenham? As the Arsenal fans would sing. Soulless, utterly soulless, and it's all over. Oh, John. Jeez, I've never heard John as demoralised talking about Tottenham. This, yeah. is, this is a sad day. Yeah, it's, uh, I know you're an actor, you went to the Gaiety School of Acting, so maybe you're putting on a little show for us maybe, here. Maybe I am. Um, but... It was uh, just no fight in the North London derby. Um, when you compare it to last May when they battered Arsenal, beat them 3-0, you can really see the, 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 the divergence in the way both teams have progressed or regressed. And um, it's just worrying that Conte even coming out yesterday and saying that, uh, well, other people should be coming out and explaining the situation, whether it's uh, sporting directors or medical staff. And that it almost seems that sometimes when I hear him, he's coming across like he's almost feels like he's doing Spurs a favour by being there, which isn't good. I don't think uh, we have the players to fit into a system. And um, I think that, as I've said before many times, I think the club has been taken as far as it can be by the current ownership. And they need maybe to realise that the fact that they've turned a club they've bought for 20 million quid into a 2 billion business, um, that it might be just time now to move on because it, they're caught between a rock and a hard place of being a club that has a project manager in Conte but doesn't have the personnel to fulfil that project as was the case with Jose and when they did have a project manager um, like Pochettino to build for the long term they didn't back him in the transfer market I know they were building the stadium so they're caught between having a guy that is, is going to come in to do a short term job to win trophies but don't have the playing personnel and he's not committed beyond the end of this season and I can just see this uh, ending in quite a quick divorce you know Are Tottenham better than fifth? No. Then you should be quite happy. Achieving 
exactly what they should be. Only five points off United, albeit they've played a game more. Well, this was a club that was second and third and was always in the Champions League places under Pochettino. Um, that pipped Arsenal to the uh, Champions League spot last season um, and now is, is is just stalling, whereas Arsenal are flourishing, even with the, the fact that they've got a quite a threadbare squad Arsenal. So... Um, Liverpool and Chelsea have got problems at the moment but they're not going to have problems forever and uh, Newcastle look here to stay United are playing really well under Ten Hag and um, you know the top four looks set to me at the moment There are a lot of players in that Tottenham squad that are sort of fifth to eighth place yeah. players yeah. like Hoiberg is a very very nice central yeah. midfielder yeah. but yeah. is he absolutely world class yeah. likewise Basuma maybe at Brighton you thought he could make that step Certainly yeah. haven't seen it as of yet. Ryan Sessegnon hasn't really kicked on. No. You know, Matt Doherty's arguably in that sort of yeah. category as well. Yeah. Likewise, maybe Romero is the one with the highest ceiling as a centre-back. But would any of those other centre-backs get in Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal squad right now? Our team, probably not. And obviously the goalkeeper is just... Um, Was he at fault? Ah, first okay. goal... Is took a deflection. He's probably at fault because he's been at fault for so yes, many yeah, other yeah, situations. Yeah. And look, Philippe Beauclair yeah. was on Monday night and he made a good point that like Hugo Lloris has just retired from international football. That emotionally, this is a huge thing for him. And we forget that like for Hugo Lloris, actually playing for his country is the most important thing in his career. And actually, that's a good thing. Like that's a good thing in football. It's not a great thing if you're a Tottenham fan. But his main focus of his career has always maybe been peaking and being at the, his absolute best when he's at when he's at France and maybe he has that short attention span he can do it for a quick four four week tournament but week in week out there's definitely a, a sloppiness to him that has always held people back from saying he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world when at international level he clearly has been mm. well the mistakes are more and more frequent Nathan and his distribution is questionable he was at fault in my mind for the goal and then what does that instill in his own defenders like I think when you're looking at Spurs I don't want to be moaning here because it's the same old uh, almost debate with Tottenham but is long leg good enough um, is Dyer good enough is Ben Davies good enough for top four team so you're looking at a goalkeeper and possibly two of the three defenders not being good enough Basuma as you said came for over 30 million hasn't worked out Hoiber fine um, then Sessegnon there's a degree of headless chicken about him uh, uh, you know the other day he was getting into good positions but wasn't uh, delivering the end product I think Doherty is a player that I don't think will be around at Tottenham for much longer Perisic is that okay he's, he's in good, look, Matt Doherty's in very good form at the moment and has never let Spurs down generally you know he yeah. goes through dips and falls out with the manager it seems and he's not quite convinced but and he's honest he's refreshingly honest uh, uh, son, son is a shadow of what he, what he was last season what's happened there uh, I just think look, is it a confidence thing um no, uh, it seems to be that generally when you're looking at strikers you're looking at confidence is the, mm. is the usual reason for it um, Richarlison was bought and hasn't scored a goal in the Premier League and I just don't know if Richarlison fits into the system mm. because Richarlison as we know the World Cup played as a number 9 a target man whereas he's not going to fill, the, fill that position for Spurs and he actually would feel quite sorry for Harry Kane because at the moment Harry Kane is in a team that is uh, is not really serving how good he is, you know. The YouTube commenters <clears throat> are speaking, John. They're being very sympathetic, as you can imagine, <clears throat> as, as usually is the case with YouTube commenters. Barry Power says, who do Spurs fans think they are? They are mid-ranking team, nothing more. Uh, Richard says, uh, Richard Redballs, in fact, I'll give him his full name, it's a great name. Uh, what I love the most about the Spurs situation is that when Conte was free, the world and his wife were calling for Conte to go to United. Uh, P. Well says, Spurs have spent the last 10 years pushing for trophies and building themselves up 
and I Arsenal come out of nowhere to stroll to the title. Um, I know you, you tipped John quite heavily. Someone else is, is is pointing that in the comments. At the start of the year, Premier League prediction: Spurs were up there. Like, but yeah, they, was, they can that, still get a top four that, finish. That was, like. another, that was another dull prediction. Um, ah, no, John. Well, you, I, I think it was, I, after what we saw last year, and maybe this is the Conte way. And there's an Eddie Jones about it that he goes in, makes an impact, and falls out with everybody. I think if he was at Manchester United that the investment he would have been allowed to make would have allowed him to improve that team. Whereas, like, Tottenham are in that 30 to 40 million bracket when they're buying players again, which is not getting that very top level. And, like, Tottenham have been very fortunate over the last decade that they've basically created two generational players in their, maybe their, well, their all-time leading scorer in Harry Kane and Gareth Bale, who became one of the best players in the world. The worry for Tottenham is if they stay under this ownership, like, there's no guarantees you create another one then. No, and they're no. never going to buy one. Mm. And also, the recruitment has not been good. Like, remember, when the ballet came in as the club's record mm. signing was a flop. Lo Celso, Reggion, all these players. And like, since Paul Mitchell left the club, he he, he went with uh, Pochettino to Tottenham in 2014. Since he left the club, you'd have to question whether the recruitment has been good enough. I think that I think they struck it lucky with Pochettino, and then they didn't back him. Um, they punched above their weight. Their wage structure is not as uh, strong as the other clubs. But I do think whether the guitar thing happens or not, it is time now for um, a change at the top. Because, uh, like, well, so Daniel Levy makes a decision now, gets rid of Conte, you could have Tuchel around there, or you could have um, Pochettino coming back, which would be a sugar high and it'd be good publicity. But um, would Daniel Levy, how would he appraise his own performance, given the amount of managers that have gone through the revolving door when they've won one trophy in the, over 20 years there, a League Cup? They won two League Cups in 30 years. I was going through, I think Arsenal won 14 trophies in that time. Mm. Chelsea more than that. And they're, you're going to be your rivals. So um, it, to me, it's just, it, it, it is just completely a, a Groundhog Day situation. Well, it's, not, it's not over yet. And they're five points behind Newcastle in third. And I wouldn't bet against Tottenham finishing above Newcastle this season. I still think Conte has shown consistently in the second half of the season that he can put a run together. And like Spurs are a strange team. They, they go through these spells at three games where they won't even have a shot on goal barely for three games and then they'll go through a run of five or six games where they'll win five of them and the confidence will be back and Kane will be scoring and you think it's all coming together and then there'll be a dip again but maybe they'll have enough of the good bits that actually they can go and somehow finish inside the top four but Conte just seems obsessed with going to war with the internal world of Tottenham and what does that do to the players? But also, the fact that his wife and daughter are still initially is probably a, a sign that, you know, maybe, you know, does he see this as something that he's going to stick around for? I think the next few weeks are crucial. And the worry I have, Nathan, on your point is that they really didn't have, they had no fight mm. on Sunday. That first half, Arsenal were cruising. Absolutely cruising. He yeah. made it, I don't know if you saw the papers in his press conference yesterday, an interesting point again, where he was talking about... Uh, why am I having to do all these yeah, media briefings? Yeah. Uh, why doesn't the doctor come out and explain why all yeah. these players are injured? Why doesn't the uh, director of football come out and explain why we're not signing all these players? In every other country, everybody talks, and I have to do all the talking here, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a fascinating thing if suddenly the physio came out and the journalists are getting to hammer him about, <laughs> why aren't you doing your job properly? Mm. Well, because uh, himself and Paratici are buddies, so we haven't seen much of Paratici. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know where it's going. And I don't think uh, they're great business people. They did a great job in the stadium and the training ground, but the football product has not lived up to their status as business people. And that's why I do think there needs to be a change. When you're looking at Ten Hag, the impact he's made, I think Newcastle has set her to stay. I think Eddie Howe's really, really good. And uh, then you've got Arsenal and City. So um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's a perennial uh, conversation we're having here on the same thing. Jesus, John, yeah, and, yeah, I'm uh, sorry to see see you so sad. You're, yeah, you're well, bringing me down here. Well, Jesus, Shane, you know, your optimism is relentless, Shane. So I'm sure you'll get over it. 100. I'll get over it very quickly. We'll, All right, lads. We'll, we'll be we'll be uh, we'll have an optimistic slot tomorrow. We won't talk Spurs. No, we'll we'll, we'll talk about golf tipping. Something exactly. Yes, yeah, been happy. Uh, John, thanks a million. All right, lads. Great stuff. Uh, 8:50 a.m. Uh, on this. Wednesday mornings so OTB AM uh, I don't know if you saw this Nathan we're, we're currently watching the um, Australian Open Coco Goff the 7th seed 5-3 up against Emma Raducanu in the opening set it's at deuce at the moment and Goff with the serve uh, so Goff trying to close out that set it's been a pretty entertaining set uh, to say the least advantage now to Goff for uh, her second set point uh, I just want to bring you a picture from Dan Evans, the British player, uh, yesterday. Molly McElwee tweeting, Dan Evans' match was interrupted by the three-hour heat delay. How did he spend it? He says, I showered, had food, stretched, then I had to lie down. I mean, I actually watched Roy Keane on that Tommy Tiernan show. It was quite a good 37 minutes if you really want to know what I did. So even the tennis, even the top stars are sitting there watching Tommy Tiernan and, and Roy Keane as Roy talks about his terrible dating advice and tips. And Did you watch it? I did. It was good. Yeah. Decent television. Yeah. Listen, I will. The awkward pause has made it for me. Roy, do anything. I think the problem was everybody had such high expectations for when Roy Keane would eventually end up on Tommy Tiernan. And I actually said to someone I saw it was coming back, I bet you they get Roy on. It'll be the perfect interview. And the fact that Roy Keane, uh, Tommy Tiernan said, I knew you'd be here at some stage, even though he doesn't know who the guests are, in his head he had definitely prepared oh. for Roy Keane. Yeah. And I. Listen here, who I am the last person in the world to say how to do a good Roy Keane interview. Oh, well. uh, I do think that there's a bit with Roy that actually, if you talk to him about Saipan and you talk to him about Alex Ferguson, he wants to talk about that. That actually gets him going <laughs> and sort of winds him up. The tough questions. And actually, maybe you can get to the deeper stuff then through all of that. But actually, he's so aware of anyone trying to get something that he doesn't want to personal, give. So and look, I'm with a lot of people who feel like he doesn't have to give all this deep stuff to us. He's mm. not. We're not entitled to Roy Keane nope. uh, looking dark into his past uh, if he doesn't want to do it. And it's a tough, tough gig. Yeah. Uh, and listen, Tommy Turner's show last week with Patrick Hilty was outstanding. And actually, the other interviews on those nights were outstanding as well. But yeah. like we all thought this was going to be the greatest interview of all time. And because it probably fell short of that. It went from, from Roy, I was sitting with my uh, with my dad, I think, watching it, and goes from Roy Keane to Jenny Keane, the sex therapist. Mm. So you're, I think a lot of households across the country had those awkward moments where you didn't... Tell us about that conversation. You didn't know who the, the, guest, the next guest was, and then all of a sudden you have a sex therapist in talking about all sorts of stuff. What did your dad think about the sex therapist? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't discuss it too, <laughs> too in-depth, let me tell you. We just sat there in awkward silence. Oh, yawning, looking at the watch. Do you want a cup of tea? It's not very late, this show, isn't it? Jesus, yeah, I might go to bed. Uh, yeah, uh, so it was one of those moments <laughs> that we didn't ever speak about again. Uh, 9.01am on this Thursday morning. Well, it's not Thursday morning, it's Wednesday morning. Uh, sorry. We're joined by Jess Kelly, News Talks tech correspondent in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A-game with 99.9% broadband reliability. I love it. I mean, it's the best thing out there. Gets me gets me all nostalgic. Yeah. Jess. Well done, Jess. Thanks, Nathan. Welcome. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Great. EA Sports it's in the game FIFA. she's going to talk FIFA and Pro Evo this is so this right, is right up your alley yeah. Yeah. even yeah. though you're crap I as soon as I knew you were on this morning I was like okay talk about something that he'll actually know about <laughs> so um, it's kind of sad news it was announced last year last May that EA Sports and FIFA are no longer going to be partnering on one of the biggest gaming titles of all time FIFA um, so twenty the FIFA 23 is the last iteration and this is because FIFA wanted a billion dollars 
for uh, the honour of having the FIFA branding on the game and EA Sports weren't willing to do that so now they're going to make what's called EA Sports FC that'll be out this September but I think it's an interesting one because like obviously FIFA is FIFA but EA Sports has built up this reputation over 30 years and now it'll be interesting to see if the fans will follow EA Sports or will they wait and see what FIFA does because they're saying that they will make their own version of a game that will be in 2024 but we've seen before where these famous companies, these very, very powerful brands will go off and do their own thing because, you know, they're either eyes on money or different agendas. And then they fail because they don't have the expertise of the likes of EA in their corner. So I'm interested to see what happens. Is there any information as to whether FIFA, the uh, the rulers of football, yeah. have taken all of the staff from EA Sports to replicate no, so, game. so what's interesting is EA has, so they have, there's a few different game houses within EA. So EA Sports is just one iteration of it. So there's the wider EA company. Um, and they also, EA has also retained more than 300 of the partners that mm. are part of the FIFA game. So you have the likes of Premier League, you've the likes of Nike, you've, like all of the individual partners are sticking with EA. Um, and EA is saying that breaking away from FIFA will give them greater freedom to innovate a little bit more when it comes to the game. Uh, so if you're a fan of FIFA, which I know you are, Shane, are you a FIFA fan? I I used to enjoy watching people play FIFA. Oh, That's my, just weird. I know, my brother was good at FIFA. I uh, Yeah, I was one of those people who, funny enough, I was of that generation, who I went outside and played football with my friends. Well, rather than lots of people can do both. Can do, both. do both. Like, it is... It's fascinating how it's developed from like sensible soccer back in the day, which was obviously the most basic of things. And then there was the, are you pro Evo or are you FIFA? And pro Evo didn't have all of those deals. So yeah. uh, you would play as Manchester United wouldn't be called Manchester United. None of the teams would be called their real names. And f- even though pro Evo was maybe a more playable game, mm-hmm. FIFA had a bit of gravitas because you could be Liverpool or Manchester United, which is what kids would generally want. But FIFA now, while they have 300 partnerships, have lost some. So you haven't been able to be Juventus yes. for recent times. You it, you can't play Brazil in as an international side. So they have lost some of them. But I still think, and listen, I'm sure FIFA feel it's called FIFA, so they deserve their billion. Yeah. But so many people, when they think FIFA, if you say if you were to walk out in the Grafton Street and say, what is FIFA? I would say at least 50%, if not more, would say it's a video game. <laughs> there, there are around 150 million uh, games have been sold. It is one of the most lucrative deals. It's worth billions in terms of sales over the last two or three decades. So, And that's what I mean at the top about, you know, will FIFA actually be the biggest loser here? Because they won't have the naming rights. And although some of the teams and there may be subtle changes within the EA game, if you're a gamer, you're probably going to want the best gaming experience and you may be willing to make a compromise on what team you can be or what player you can have and so on. And I think that if FIFA doesn't come out with something that is going to blow you out of the water, it's going to have been for nothing, essentially, just for the sake of an extra few quid. So it'll be interesting to see how well the EA Sports FC does when it comes out in September. Do you think you'll get it, Nathan? Uh, I would expect so. I'll, it'll be demanded that I get it uh, in in my house. Um, yeah, the fact that they have the partnerships now, yeah. FIFA can obviously say, "Well, you can play the World Cup on whatever their game will be," but they also have FIFA Pro, which is the players' organization. It's really interesting the 
where the money trickles down to. Mm. So the PFAI in Ireland, which represents the players, the League of Ireland players, their main source of revenue is through sales of the FIFA computer game because they're associated with FIFA Pro mm. and they receive so much money to have the rights of all their players that that trickles down through all the players' organisations. So the fact that Seamus Coleman and Matt Doherty are named in that mm. means that the money comes back into Irish football again and you'd have to assume that FIFA Pro are going to stick with EA Sports because there's the guaranteed revenue. Unless FIFA can go to the various national organisations and somehow force their hand that they need to go with them, but it's hard to see how you can come up with a game that can compete with the graphics but that's and what the it comes playability down to. of FIFA. Yeah. Like, it's like me saying I can host off the ball because I know how to talk on TV and radio, but I have none of the sporting knowledge. So which would you rather? Would uh, you, you rather watch James one of these? Here. You could bluff it, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, okay. yeah. Maybe so not the best example. Case in point. But you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's that thing of you can be the best at, uh, in terms of, you know, name recognition in the world of football, but then be crap at making video games. And these games are expensive enough. So if when we get the early previews of whatever the new FIFA game is going to be comes out and if it looks naff or if we have something like we had with Cyberpunks where they've been working on it for ages but the game is buggy and glitchy and doesn't work, people aren't going to spend between 60 and 90 euro to buy it. And that could be the downfall. If 2024 is the first year where we don't have a FIFA game mm. but we have EA Sports FC it could be the end of FIFA's involvement in the franchise and again once again it's all about money we have some B-roll footage here I think this is from the new this is the EA Sports this is the EA Sports version. FC and there's only short trailers available of it um, but they're very much trying to get the messaging out there that you're, no, you're not going to be playing generic football team one against generic football team two. They are very much focused on the innovation in terms of the graphics, um, the like in, ensuring that you have all of the competitive elements that anyone who's played the FIFA franchise over the last 30 years will want. They also have, EA also has the NHL, the PGA Tour, Formula One. So, they're, they're, again, they're not so solely reliant on the football side of things. Like They have a big franchise. We're seeing a huge development in terms of the NHL and the Formula One side of things. So I think it's only a matter of time before like, there's a potential for a proper wow moment, I think, for the fans of FIFA without FIFA. They've been very smart in how they've developed it as well. So Football Manager was obviously a huge game that mm. I've spoken about. is an, an obsessive game and it's still there and you can still play Football Manager. But within FIFA, there's basically a Football Manager mode yeah. as well. So like it frustrates the life out of me when I go in to the sitting room and the kids are playing FIFA, but they're not actually playing a match. They're just simming all the games and managing the teams and signing the players. But also, as all of these games do now, uh, the Ultimate Team, where you are constantly having to actually invest more money. So you buy the game and then you're spending money on points to be able to buy better players for when you're playing online. It's a never-ending circle you're of You're spending real-life money. Or real-life money. So and that, that's with all uh, computer games now, whether it's uh, Fortnite or Roblox or whatever. You, like the in-app Fortnite, purchases. I think, at least is free when you buy it initially. Yeah. So FIFA, you still pay for. You pay your, was it 60, 60 quid? 60 or 70 quid, or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You still then... They want to have the newest, um, I'm going to start 
getting lost in the terminology yeah. right now. I'm going to say the newest uh, skins and the newest players. Oh, all yeah. of that. Yeah. I know you do, fellow my, kids. But I know this. <laughs> but so this is. Uh, but that's how they make money. So, the, so well, it's my young lad's birthday soon, and he's not asking for a game. He's asking for downloadable content, V bucks. Yeah, and he's asking what? for money to put on his FIFA game that he's already paid 60, 70 quid for. So, but we've spoken about this before, and we've kind of touched upon it over the last few weeks here as well. A lot of these companies aren't making, although they're like the, their revenue sheets would show that there's money coming in. They're not making enough money to sustain them, and as time goes on the creation of this content is only going to get more expensive. So if you look at mobile gaming or if you look at any of the big titles for the consoles, the way they're bringing extra revenue in is either through Game Pass subscriptions or that downloadable, downloadable content whereby you pay anything from you know one ninety nine right through to 40 quid for updates or extra tokens or whatever it is. That's how they're going to make money. And I think we're going to get into a slippery slope where people are going to be paying for all their streaming services, all their live entertainment, and then have to take out essentially a second mortgage just to sustain their gaming habit because it does get pretty expensive. Do you guys fall for the um, the in-app purchases on your phones? I have a couple of, so you know the, the Flight Radar app, Flight Radar 24, mm. where you can track the airplanes and stuff? I mean, you, I know. You, you I can, love that. You pay. I, but if, I'm, if, I'm out, if I'm out walking at home and I see a plane, I'm like, I wonder where that's really? going. Uh, yeah. London to Cairo, 36,000 feet. You know, the airline, the I speed. I don't know why I care or what the everything. aim it is. I, pay, I paid the in app purchase for. Um, so there's a generic airplane image for each mm. plane, but if you pay extra. So the 747 is in the shape of a 747 and the A380 is in that shape Jeez. and the helicopters appear as a helicopter. Ah, no, mean, we have to take your card away. I know. My, my second most used app is the Night Sky app where you're, you're out at night and you can, you know, uh, it uses that whole VR stars, augmented yeah. reality stuff where you point, you can I click on a star. I thought I was the biggest dork in the office but clearly I'm not. No, it's, it's Shane. Yeah, the in-app. Oh, oh well, uh, take the mantle, 100%. <laughs> uh, no, I love those, love those apps. Uh, the in-app oh. purchases I get drawn into so if I was a FIFA fan I'd be I don't understand people who don't use flight radar like you know yeah. when you're at Manchester airport yeah, oh, airport. everybody is queuing and I'm like the plane hasn't even landed the, the plane has just left Dublin yeah. all you gotta do is check your oh it might be a different plane it's like it's not yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't walk around the sky going oh I wonder what that is I've no interest in that but the, the in-app purchases thing there's a serious side to this beyond kind of being able to tweak your um, airplane and helicopter images Uh it's a bit of a gateway into the more compulsive side of mm. gaming and gambling and so on. And a lot of people don't necessarily realise that that's the case. I Like a few years ago when it was a Candy Crush was massive and people were reporting that they were, you know, buying the add-ons, extra coins for one ninety nine, And suddenly, before they knew it, they'd spent three grand on individual one ninety nine purchases over 30 days. So I think, there, you know... It's worth noting that you can turn off or control aspects of your in-app purchases. And I think one of the worst and best things to ever happen is the Apple Pay and the Google Pay that you oh, can yeah. just double-click and oh, do it instantly. So, easy. so be careful. Too easy. Uh, very briefly, Jess, and I guess airplanes and uh, carbon footprint is a nice segue into this, but uh, Microsoft is updating the Xbox to become the first carbon aware console yeah this is kind of cool and it's good for the environment but also for your pocket if you do have an xbox uh, you may know that it just goes on to standby mode when it's on that it can add between 60 to 100 quid to your energy bills which is not ideal so now microsoft is pushing an update that will make it more energy efficient uh, if there's a big update uh, due or if you are downloading content uh, games and so on 
the console will know the most efficient time from an energy point of view when to do that. So it could be between 2 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, it'll also then go into sleep mode rather than standby mode. It still won't take a day and a half to, to boost up or anything like that. But they're all just about trying to lower the carbon emissions and also your energy bills, which is good news. Uh, by standby mode, you mean if you turn off the Xbox, it's still on? When it's on the little, the light is on, yeah. Okay. Jesus. Right. Save the oh, planet, guys. Yeah. But it's also save your pockets. Like, well, yeah. The energy bills, the consoles are bonkers. Very often I'll come home and I'll turn the source button on the TV and I'll see that the thing, the console is still on a game, still loading and just in the background. That is not good for anyone from an energy point of view or from a financial point of view. So always make sure you turn it off. Jess, great stuff as always. Thanks a million for popping in. Uh, Jess Kelly, of course, News Talks tech correspondent. You can follow her on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT in partnership with Virgin Media. That slot, bring your A game with 99.9% broadband reliability. Uh, okay, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio across the day. Uh, from half past 10, we're live with the Club Championship show. From 1 pm, it's OTB Gold and Irish Football Special with Given Quinn McAteer all in partnership with Kevin Kilban. From 3pm, it is the Koi Gig podcast. 4 o'clock, it's our retro panel on Mead's heyday. 6pm, OTB Gold with Cullum Gooch Cooper. And from 7pm, the evening show is live with Joe Malloy. Wednesday Night Rugby, plenty more besides as well. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. Now, after the break, Dan Quirk will join us to discuss the Dylan Quirk Foundation, which was set up in honour of the late Dylan Quirk, Dan's son, who of course collapsed and died of sudden adult death syndrome on the 5th of August last year during a match with his club Clonaldi Ross Moore in Semple Stadium. Uh, Dan will be joined in studio by the former Irish international Niall Quinn, who is an ambassador for the foundation. First, sports journalist Tom English joined Willow Callaghan on last night's show, talking about the perception of Ulster's John Cooney in Scotland. Back in, in a sec. We've been speculating for quite some time over here, Tom, about what's going to happen with John Cooney. And John Cooney's been asked repeatedly about potentially playing for Scotland and he's open to the idea. Is there much talk in Scotland about him potentially coming in later this year? Yeah, there, there is. There's bits, there's bits and pieces. Um, I would say largely negative mm. about it. You know, respectful of, of what a good player he is. Um, but it's... Uh, It'd be a tough one for them to swallow. I mean, McConaughey is a tough enough one for them to swallow. People are going, "What you know? What's going on here?" You know, he made his choice. He picked England. Mm. You know, you made your bed, you lie in it. But Townsend doesn't see it that way. Um, there was no mention of Cooney at all today. Um, <clears throat> so, if it happens, uh, I'd be a touch surprised. Um, I think there'll be a very, very negative response to it. The Scotland have four or five scrum halves, some of them young. Um, Jamie Doby at Glasgow. Uh, there's a couple of others, um, young, even young, around that age. And I think if, if Cooney was to be parachuted in, even though he's a good player, at his age, that would be a terrible look for Scottish rugby and it would go down very badly, especially since kind of like the media stuff that Cooney has done, it's like, ah, you know, make it up my mind. I'll wait and see. Mm. You know, that's not exactly sending a message out there to Scottish rugby that he's mad keen to play for Scotland, you know? It's almost like hanging in there, geez, I'll see if Andy Farrell picks me, and if not, sure, I'll go off to Scotland and that'll do me. Uh, It's not going down well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 
Yeah, 18 minutes past nine on this Wednesday morning's OTB. You're very welcome back to the show. Now, uh, the Dylan Quirk Foundation uh, was set up in honour of the late Dylan Quirk, who collapsed and died of sudden adult death syndrome uh, last August, 5th of August 2022, of course, in, uh, in Semper Stadium, Turles. Many of you will remember where you were when you heard that news. Uh, he was playing for hurling for his club, Clonaldi Ross Moore, in the Tipperary Championship. Sudden adult death syndrome takes 100 young lives in Ireland every year. Their aim is to raise awareness and save lives by screening every GEA player, both male and female, from the age of 12 onwards the foundation has raised nearly 88,000 was at 30,000 when the Irish Examiner reported this story uh, on December 18th there was going to be a fundraiser when Tipperary play Kilkenny on Sunday February the 19th with proceeds going towards the screening process the initiative also being backed by local politicians of course in the county uh, delighted to say the former Irish international Niall Quinn joins the studio morning Niall and um, Dylan Quirk's father as well Dan Dan uh, pleasure to have you in um, and, I, and I know it's not diffi- uh, an easy subject to, to speak about we might actually just kick this off by, by bringing you a clip because we had uh, John O'Keefe and, and Jimmy Marr two of, um, of Dylan's teammates on the show last last year I think it was October maybe when um, we decided to come in and pay tribute to Dylan and, and talk about his life uh, and we, so we don't have a clip but, but they actually spoke eloquently about I suppose Dylan's age and how he exceeded his age in terms of the maturity and the type of person he was. He was that. I think Jimmy went on to say things like, you know, he was always watching what the lads were eating in the house and always trying to get them out to the gym. He was a leader in in, in many ways. Dan, I think it's fair to say he was Shane. Yeah, he was. Um, from the day he could walk, he had a hurling in his hand. <laughs> um, we used to be out day and night hurling. It's all about hurling with Dylan from from, from a very young age. Um, as he went through the years, he kept in many of his club teams and onto the county, and he always looked after other people. Mm. His things, you know, even when he's training, he trained to the best of his ability, but made sure all his own teammates would do the very same thing, you know. That's, that was Dylan. And a leader on the pitch as well, because the success that Clonaldi Ross Moore had in, in the recent years were, were very much centred through him. I know he was a modest lad as well, by all accounts, but... Ah, he was, I know he played a big part. He won the senior final in 2018. He was sent to forward the same year. and a great year and a great final, and that was his greatest moment. Mm. He'd, he'd always said to me, and uh, whatever hurling he did and whatever he did in his life, he'll never forget that day in, in Simple Stadium to win a county fine, which is a great feat for any young fella growing up. You want to start with your club and you'll start with your club and finish with your club. And he loved it. He just loved every bit of it. Mm. It's, it's funny because all the stories that came out about him afterwards, and I think everyone in the country remembers, as we say, where they were when they, when they heard that uh, terrible news. But And it was just the fact that he, he was in the prime of his life and it was in Simple Stadium as well. Just the, the irony, the cruel irony of it all struck a lot of people. Yeah, it did. It's like for us, what we've gone through over the last number of months. Obviously, it's 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 been horrendous. But we've got great support from the local communities, from the GA clubs in Tipperary and all over the country. And that's why, I suppose, looking for some solace, we decided to start the foundation. And it's just gone from strength to strength, and we're blown away with the support we've got. It's been amazing, you know. But and I know Dylan would love us to be doing this, and we think we can achieve quite a bit in the not too distant future. You've got involved as well, Niall. I know you've you've Tipperary hurling running through your your blood quite literally. Uh, your yeah. father Billy Rahilty was the club. Yeah, he saying? played, played Rahilty. Played with with Tip for a few years. Had to go off to London looking for work as a young lad, so gave up his career. But uh, he actually he, he his anniversary was seven years yesterday. So uh, I think he'd, he'd be delighted too that I'm, I'm in giving Dan and the lads a, a, a bit of a dig out for for Dylan. And um, it's it's very touching, and you know it, it's it's 
it's really tough looking back at Dylan because Dan, you know, used to tell me a few years ago, Dylan's he's getting asked to win and train with the tip miners, you know, what we say to him and do you remember that time, Dan? Yeah. And then on to the next one, you know, God he's in with senior training tonight and so the whole thing built up and we were all very proud of Dylan and of course his maturity as you speak about, he was he was a standout player from a from a very early point uh, in his introduction to the senior county team and um you know, I, my 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 last uh, chat with Dylan was down at the golf in Adair that JP McManus uh, invited me to play in, and Dylan walked around, and I played a shot one time, and it wasn't a great shot, and and I, I remember him just saying to me. Quinn, how did you get on this golf trip? <laughs> you know? So he was funny like that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. And Nick Faldo started laughing, and I told Nick what he was and the great player he was and what he was doing, and, you know, if they get to the final this year, there could be over 80,000 at the match. And Sir Nick said, all right, and how much do them lads get paid, you know? And I was like, nothing. He went, oh, God, he said, that's not good. So, yeah. so there was a lovely little moment between us all there, you know? It was the love of it from there was a great line from Timmy Hammersley his, his teammate the last message he had from him when he said I just can't wait for Friday to come under lights and thurless in the summer where else would you want to be yeah that summed them up I did it did yeah I did yeah sure look he, he had a great year this year with Tipperary he played every minute of the championship with him and he was he, he changed I, I thought a lot of, I saw a lot of changes in Dylan in the last 12 months particularly when he got a chance in the halfback line he grew he grew to be a great guy really you know and he was loving every minute. Then back with the club, his uncle now, Declan Ryan, who was involved in the foundation as well, Declan made him captain. And he was so proud of that, like. And he really thought this was our year, we'd win another county final, and we wouldn't have been too far away. We just were unfortunate with injuries and stuff, you know. We lost Timmy to me, went to Dublin, and it was a bit unfortunate. We were beaten in the semi quarter final by Killedang, and we had a guy sent off and a couple of more guys to injuries. But we were there, thereabouts. And he'd been so proud the way our guys turned up after he passed. And, we we with great comradeship with Kilwan McDonough's the team that we played against when when Dylan passed. And um, they've been exceptional since actually they have their victory dinner dance next weekend and Hayes and myself are going up. But look, Dylan he enjoyed all all aspects of life, not just hurling. He joined us in the business a couple of years ago and he loved to crack in the business. We have a delicatessen business and all just all fun with Dylan. Morning tonight was fun <laughs> playing tricks on his mum and tricks on me and that's all. It's all different. Hard, hardly working. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, like you know, it, and that, I think that was one of the items at the funeral as well. The apron from that's the, right, that's right. Yeah, the, red, was, yeah. the red helmet and yeah, yeah, things yeah. like that. Like I hadn't even realised like that Dylan was born premature. He was. He was born six weeks premature. Hazel had a bad accident, and he had a f- couple of tough years early. And he wasn't good to sleep, which didn't make it easy. But he came through that like. And f- like he got myocarditis in 2018, and he he was very sick at the time now, and he had to give he gave up the, the sport for six or eight months. But he came back, and we thought everything was going well. He was being screened, not being screened. He he had screening done, and everything seemed to be fine. And he got heart checks, and everything was fine. And while the, this year, where he played with Tip, when the pressure was its greatest for six weeks, when they played four championship matches, he was flying. And then back home with his club, and all of a sudden, this happens, you know. How was he in that first period when he when he wasn't able to play hurling when he had to step away from sport? Yeah, sure, he found it very difficult because he he loved training, he loved going to the gym, and he loved running, and he loved playing hurling. He wasn't having it like he wanted to go back tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And Hazel, particularly Dylan, you can't. You've got to give this time, and you know? all eventually he did give it time, and he we actually won another twenty one county final the same year, and he missed the final because of it. But he, he actually came on for the last 60 seconds and he shouldn't have had, but he just wanted to get on the field, you know. That's all he wanted to do was win something with his club. He loved it so much, you know. Mm. Well, we had um, 
uh, I would have shared a dressing room with, with Brendan O'Duffy, the young man in Harps uh, uh, lad, 19 years of age, killed in a road accident. We've had his father, Brendan O'Duffy, in, a senior in here in the studio. And, and you've probably shared uh, dressing rooms with people like this as well, Niall, because it was mad how the two so, sort of matched in my head in that everyone said about Dylan and everyone said about Ogie that they were leaders wise beyond their years in the dressing room. And sometimes in the dressing room you, you meet these types of, of lads who are maybe 10 years younger than you, but you look up to them in some ways. Yeah, and they're, they're not just doing it for themselves. They're bringing people with them. I think that's the, that's the kind of type of, of man that Dylan was. And it was obvious from a very early age when, when he started to get into minor teams that it wasn't just about him. He wasn't phased by it. He wasn't looking around wondering if... If, um, if I'm going to make it, he was actually saying, I'm going to make this and I'm going to bring a few lads with me and I'm going to have a great time. I think that, that attitude that the pl- players like Dylan had and, and no doubt Ogie had too. Um, you know, we, we'd, I can remember uh, one of the players that passed uh, from the Irish team from all the, all the setup was Alan McLaughlin. Mm. And Alan came into the team in a really strange way. He arrived at the World Cup he took Gary Waddock's place the night before the team had to go in. Gary had to travel to Italy. Gary had to go home to London. And Alan came in and there was this kind of funny moment where you've got a, a, a player who's come in and your mate's gone back. Nobody knows this guy. And by probably lunchtime a couple of days later, we knew this fellow's going to be great. He's, he's great in the dressing room. He's um, a strong character. And he, he, he slotted in. So I, I, I see that kind of, you know, when I think back of Alan, I think about that time, I think of Dylan. The, 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 the strengths players like that have in a dressing room and the, the hold they have over you and then when you think about them now that they've passed you know Dylan being so young Alan had his career I mean he died a young man but he, he, he had his career his full career Dylan didn't have the full career mm-hmm. um, so you think all the time you know you think what, what, what they could have achieved but because um, but I, I, I knew Dylan separately it was his wit you know, like Dan says, he tried to play a few jokes and different things. I mean, he really was an absolute character and you could do nothing but just love the fella. Big smile on his face, make you laugh, had a quip. And they're the kind of people you, you jump out about every day to, to speak to and to get to know. Yourself and Dylan were obviously incredibly close uh, through the hurling, through work. Uh, so you would have seen a lot of each other. But I'm sure you heard a lot of that, what Niall's saying. Actually, the other part of his life when he'd be away with the lads, yeah. the stories, the uh, things he would have got up to that you probably had never heard of before. No, no, no. Like We actually went to the New Zealand in 2017 with the Lions for three weeks. It was a brilliant trip to have with your son, but we, we got friendly with five Rangers supporters, were Scottish guys, um, and they were in their 70s. And Dylan was infatuated by the five guys. And he, was, he was 18, and these guys were in their 70s. But the, the banter we had with them, and they loved him. They absolutely loved it. It's just funny, he could mix whether you were 8 or 80. It didn't make a difference. That was yeah. Dylan, you know. And he didn't like plaudits from the sporting. That wasn't his thing. He didn't like any plaudits. He just wanted to do his job and help others. You know, that's, that's, that's the way he was. Was Jimmy, just when you're speaking there, did Jimmy have a story about Dylan on a skiing trip or something? Or There was some trip he was on and I think he, he, he went missing or something. He had a couple of drinks and he did, rang, he did. The, rang his mother. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he, 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 went, he went missing and himself and Aaron, Aaron, a friend of his. They, he went, they were the first night skiing. They said to take a shortcut home after the night out through the snow and so they're following the, the streets or whatever and they got stuck in the snow and lucky to get back home but they, when they eventually got home Aaron and Dylan were frozen literally frozen they put him into the, into the, into the bath and uh, it was good because were, please ring mammy I want my mammy <laughs> 23 years of age I was going to ask what age was he yeah. what, did, what did mammy say when uh, she, she well, mammy loved that she loved that mammy's boy uh, yeah. mammy's boy actually she's been great to him you know because everything revolved around Dylan when we were having breakfast 
did lunch and teach, whatever dinner month we'd have, you know. So Hazel had been great to him. He was as good as he was because his mother made a great job, I might say, you know, yeah. as a mum like. I'm sure the both of you did a, did a great job, um, clearly did. And that, that's the other thing as well, that I, I Brendan O'Duffy talked about, about the grief process and how there's, well, there is no right or wrong way to go about it. Um, and I can't even begin to imagine what, what yourself and, and Shannon and Kelly and the whole family have, have had to go through. And it's still very recent. Um, but how how have you how have you managed to to cope over the over the recent months? I'm sure, like for Brendan Og, I guess the book that he wrote about Ogie, you know, kept him occupied. For yourself, even this charity is 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 something to keep the mind occupied. But how have you found the the last months? It's it's very hard to explain it, Shane. Um, it's 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 five months now, and we still it's not getting easier. Yet we still don't believe we still believe he's going to come back. You wake up in the morning or at night, you feel he's going to come in and at any time, but he's not. But I think. As a family, we, we're so obviously so proud of Dylan. But we've had 24 wonderful years, and we're really grateful for that. And if, if we could have a legacy for Dylan, now is it will save lives. And that's what we're doing with the foundation. And that's the solace for us as a family. It's how we get, that's how we get our solace. And, I, and we know we'll save lives, which is great. That's what keeps us going. The way the community has rallied around, like you talk about the connection with Kilroy that's still there, the the Tipperary hurling community, the Munster hurling community, the Irish GAA community as well. It's, it, I, I'm sure that gives you a lot of strength as well that, that so many people have actually been so shocked by this, so affected by it, that they want to come around and support you and show that actually Dylan meant an awful lot. Yeah, we're getting it from all over the country. I think last week UCC played Cork and Tom Kingston, who was the UCC manager, I played against Tom as a, as a minor and part of the gate seats were put to the foundation. And we're getting this from Wexford, from Northern Ireland, from, from clubs and counties all over. It's been incredible. And it's just, we've got momentum now and we're really taking off. And if we can keep this going, who knows where it will end. But at least we know that we're going to save lives. And I'll tell you a little bit more there about different federations and different different countries. Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, the SADS problem came up before now. Uh, and in other countries, they responded and reacted quicker. In Italy, for instance, uh, 25 years ago, a, a real good effort was put in by the government to screen all young sports people. And here we are 25 years later, 89% reduction in SADS deaths, you know. Nice, so, right. So, so it's, it's obvious, but it's kind of not because lots of people, parents, their children play sport, they're delighted, but they, they don't actually ever maybe take the time to stop and say, just wouldn't mind getting him checked now. And uh, there's so many people playing sports, the GAA, you know, as, as well, the, the FAI uh, and Brendan O'Carroll um, got involved in this as well and saw the problem too a couple of years ago. And I think all of us who have children who are playing would actually stop and think, do you know what, I should really do this and get my children checked. And what, um, you know, what Dan and Hazel have, are, and the family uh, are putting together here is a really good, efficient way to get as many young people tested in sport, in, in the GA, uh, as, as, as we know. Uh, in the first instance, please God, it might even go further than that, depending, depending where fundraising goes. But to think, you know, to, to do it without what Dan's doing. So, so the, the, the bottom line about this is, you know, a truck will come in, a medical truck will come into a club. Uh, there will be times there for all, all of the, the club members to go in and, and get, their, uh, get their check and their screen. And if the news is good seven, ten days later, that's great. If it's not so good, at least then the parent knows and something can happen and, and, you're, and you're on a better road. Um, that 
when you're trying to get every parent to do that now in our world, you'd have to go to a doctor, you'd have to get an appointment, the doctor would have to give you a reference. You know, there's a big sort of long, drawn-out yeah. effort to maybe get a, a child screen normally. And that's why what, what Dan is doing is, is short-circuiting all that and, um, and bringing together uh, medical expertise that will just put so many more people at ease but also help the ones that do screen oddly, if you like, and, and stuff shows up. Um, it's, it's a wonderful way, I think, of, uh, of, of satisfying all parents if, if, if it gets big enough. You know, I mean, numbers are numbers, but, you know, the, 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 the idea that this um, foundation could maybe get up to a million euro, that would be 15,000 children, young adults checked. I mean, that will save lives. 100,000 will save lives, which, you know, will, will be sort of, you know, 10% of that would, would be 1,500. And so that's, the, 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 you know, in fairness to, to Dan and the family, they're starting uh, in the county, they're starting local. Um, they're putting it together with, with a group AMS, a medical service team. And um, it's just win, win, win. You know, there's no downside to this. Every parent, you know, should look at doing this. And it's great that the GAA world spots it and are supporting him. Um, every day, he, he, Dan rings me and says, you won't believe what happened today. Such and such has happened. And I think it, it's, it's the fear maybe for, for Dan and the family was, how do we get it off the ground? How do we get it started? That fear is gone now because of the goodness that's out there already, knowing and trusting what the foundation is going to do. So now it's a matter of doing it. And, and um, it's great to come on and, and be given the airtime to tell people that it's here and it's for them. It's, yeah. not, it's not for Dan. In, in theory, no, it's, 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 not, a, it's for, it's for it's everybody parents. out there. It's for the parents and not to go through what they did. So, um, and for, for me, you know, knowing Dylan the way I did all the years and, and knowing Dan as long as I did, um, Dan is a very modest man as, as well. Dan, Dan scored three goals in, a, in an All-Ireland Under-21 Hurling final for Tipperary. He's going to kill me for mentioning You're loving that, this, Dan. <laughs> pass, pass. You're a, ju- you're a dual player. He played big ball as well. Well, he played a bit of big ball, but um, I think he was, you know, when they used to just put the big lad up front and whack it into him. I, I think that, that's as much as the football. <laughs> You know all about it. <laughs> I know a lot about it. I had a career in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you yeah. say he was born with a with a hurl in his hand, Dylan, but there was no no coincidence to that. I that don't I mean. know. I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't say. Thanks for mentioning that. <laughs> no, he was afterwards. There, he was. Yeah, yeah. His uncle would be Declan Ryan. His uncle now, right? Yeah. Hazel and Hazel, my wife and Olive, are twins, and Declan is, is Olive's wife, his husband. But Declan was always hurling with Dylan as well, and. He had, a, he had a, from a lot of angles, really, you know. Yeah. The club, the former players that went through the club, John O'Keefe, Timmy, he looked up to all these guys. It was all hurling, 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 yeah. What a brilliant legacy when, like, it's so shocking to read 100 lives a year affected, 100 stories like your stories, mm. and it's such a simple way to go out. It's an expensive way to go out, but actually to bring it to be able to bring it to clubs when kids go in at a young age, like, the, you'll, you'll never actually know the amount of people Correct. and the amount of lives yeah. that you save by this. That's true. That's true, Nathan. It's, it's great, and it does work. And I said, like, it's for parents, if you're listening. It's just it's for parents not to go through what we've gone through because it's horrendous, and it does work. That's great. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's amazing stuff because uh, you think back even to what is it twenty years ago now, Cormac McAnallen, or not less even. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, when people see the photographs, like Joe Hayes is a man I know you know well, yeah. Niall a man I would have known from from up in Monaghan as well. Uh, like there was a great photo of the two of them I think on the pitch in twenty eighteen maybe right. after the county That's final, right, yeah. smiling. You know, if two men could be smiling anymore, I don't, I, w- I wouldn't want to see it's it. Iconic yeah. photos. It's it unbelievable. Is, it is. And Foley was another great one. 
the, the logo for the foundation is the red helmet with Dylan holding the hurley. Yes. I don't know if you've, have you seen that picture, but how that was taken, it's, it's, it's incredible because yeah. there might be 100 heads and one hurley and a helmet sticking up. It's great, you know. It's amazing. It is, and it's a lovely logo to have for the foundation because everybody reacts. Yeah. Everybody knows about it, which is great. Uh, the other thing as well, and Nathan, you touched on it, like the, the club and community, how the how everyone comes together at a moment like this. Like even I think John O'Keefe and Jimmy Maher spoke about the, you know, finding out the news themselves. I think they, they might have all gone to the, the local church or whatever to, to kind of come together as a team and yeah. news filtered through, of course. But everyone sticking together, like it, it's one of those things. I'm sure all of Dylan's friends and teammates now are part of your lives forever. Oh, they are. That's it. absolutely. I mean, from the time it, he passed the three or four days around the time of the funeral it was just incredible it really was like you'd be blown away by it the crowds that turn up at the funeral the different things people have done since and at the time and the, fu- the funeral itself was a beautiful funeral and even we had the months mine a month later Nile was down for it was on the GA pitch and there was thousands at it which was just fabulous mm-hmm. it's, it's, it was lo- everything was lovely and the help we've got from our own ch- chairman would be an uncle of Dylan's Andrew Friday Andrew's the local chairman the work he's still doing is incredible like and it's, it's all over the county. Everybody wants to help. And, and, and they're great. And we just need people to donate to the GoFundMe page. And that'll get us there. 100%. Well, listen, um, we, we'll be sure to share the GoFundMe page on our social channels and all the rest. And hopefully add to the push that, that you guys are doing. Uh, it's, it's amazing work. Um, and brave to come into us and have the conversation as well, like John and, and Jimmy did as well. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's, it's a great thing to, to remember, Dylan. And listen, this, this foundation is a beautiful way to do it. So listen. Dan, Niall, thanks a million for thanks guys. Thank you very both of you, you. Both of you coming you in. Uh, much appreciated. And listen, as I said, we'll share that GoFundMe link on the on, on the page as well. At nine thirty nine AM on this uh, Wednesday morning's OTB and thanks a lot for tuning in today. As always, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.